Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 772 with Mike Bosch. If you look into the restaurant industry as your cash grab, it's profitable. But if you look at it as a cash grab, I'm going to open one that I'll have two or three by you know year three or four. You're going to fail. You're going to waste an extreme amount of money. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And Seven Shifts is trusted by over 400,000 restaurant professionals because it gives you the tools you need to streamline labor operations, communicate with your team, and retain your talent. And because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.sevenshifts.com slash unstoppable that's the number seven s-h-i-f-t-s dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free streamline your clean faster than ever before with ecolab sink and surface cleaner sanitizer ecolab's two-in-one sink and surface cleaner sanitizer is one product that can both clean and sanitize food contact surfaces in front of house, back of house, and the third sink. Like other EPA-registered food contact surface sanitizers, it helps protect against foodborne illness. To learn more, visit ecolab.com slash unstoppable or talk to your Ecolab representative. Insights, tools, and training to build a better restaurant, better business, and better life. That's what you get with restaurantowner.com. And honestly, as far back as I can remember over the past eight years, I think Restaurant Owner is probably the most recommended resource on the show for independent restaurant owners. And right now, I've struck a special deal with restaurantowner.com. When you join Restaurant Unstoppable Network, you get six months free access to restaurantowner.com. That's a great deal. Not to mention your first 30 days of Restaurant Unstoppable Networker on us. So what are you waiting for? Get on it. What's going on, Unstoppables? We have a great show for you today. But before I give you a sneak peek of what to expect, I want to remind you that I wouldn't be able to do what I do without the support of my sponsors. And I vet my sponsors. If a company reaches out to me asking to sponsor the show, I really look into it. Uh, I really make sure it's a company that we can trust. And beyond that, going into 2021, I'm being super intentional about reaching out to the companies I want to sponsor the show, meaning you've been recommended on the show. I want to promote you because I I trust that my listeners are going to be taken care of when they go with you and your services. Seven Shifts is an example of that. Plate IQ is an example of that. Restaurantowner.com is an example of that. And I'm, I'm really trying to develop relationships with the most trusted tools and services out there. So I want you to know this. I want you to know that I'm going the extra mile to protect your best interest. So please, if you're listening to the show, um, just click on the links. Even if you're not interested, just go click on the links. Let our sponsors know that you see them. And if you, if you need a solution and they provide that solution, please uh, make them your preferred option. So today we have a really great episode for you. Um, I'm talking to Mike Bosch. Mike uh, is my first interview out here in Oklahoma City, and he's one of the reasons why I came here. Uh, He reached out to me to let me know about his book. 
unsliced uh, how to stay whole in the pizzeria industry. A little more about Mike. He is an industry leader whose restaurant Andolini's Pizzeria is a top 10 pizzeria in the U.S. as named by TripAdvisor, BuzzFeed, CNN, and USA Today. Andolini's Pizza began in 2005 and has grown to five pizzerias, two gelaterias, two food hall concepts, a food truck, a fine dining restaurant, and this all happened by 2019. And Mike, in addition, is a world pizza champion. He's a Guinness Book World Record holder. And he is also a writer for Pizza Today. And really what his book is, his book Unsliced, is a uh, compilation of all of his uh not all of his, but like he's been writing for pizza today for a while now. And, uh, he just took the the biggest lessons he's learned. Uh, he kind of compiled his essays writing for pizza today around leadership, around communication. The chapter in this book around communication is gold, by the way, and his take on operations. Um, this is the biggest lessons he's learned the hard way in his 15 years of becoming one of the, the best pizzerias in the nation. Uh, and if you're not a pizzeria, I would, I would recommend reading this book as well. It, it applies to all restaurants. It really does. Uh, he's a great leader. He's got, um, he comes from a military family and he's got that, that, you know, regimented mentality, uh, discipline, and it, sh- it shines through in this book. And, um, again, uh, we have restaurant unstoppable network, which is my attempt of really slowing down and connecting with my listeners and my past guests, uh, on a whole new level, uh, a more intimate, deeper level. We're really, we're really going to start to dissect the, the methods, the tools, the philosophies, the technologies that are being recommended on the show. And it's all happening live at the network and I'm giving all my guests a chance now to join us after their episode goes live to talk shop. We're calling it shop talk. And if you enjoy today's episode and you want to join the conversation, head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 772. I'll have a link for a 30 day trial to get over into the network to join us live on Tuesday. Uh, the 19th Mike is going to be joining us live in the network uh, about a week and a day after his episode goes live to answer your questions. So as you're listening to this episode today, keep in the back of your mind that you're going to have the chance to connect live with Mike and to ask the questions you wish I did to pull back the layers I never got to. So keep that in the back of your mind, write your questions down and join us live in the network a week and a day after this episode goes live. And, um, the first five people to RSVP to that shop talk will get his book for free. So don't be a knucklehead. Uh, join the network 30 day trial. You'll, I mean, this thing's growing. It's starting to, to take off. We had uh, seven people join just this week. And I know that's not a lot, but I'm really, like I said, I'm really not trying to scale this thing fast. I, I want it to be intimate. I want it to be organic. And, um, I want it to be high touch. I, I schedule a one-on-one chat with every new member to learn more, to learn more about them and to make sure they know how to get the most out of this network. So um, good things are happening. I want you to be a part of it. Be a part of the transformation. And, and here we go. Here's today's episode. I hope you enjoy it. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Mike Bausch. Are you feeling unstoppable today? I am feeling unstoppable here at Andalini's Pizzeria. <laughs> Andalini, sorry. Thank you for correcting me. Uh, and um, before we start every episode, I ask all my guests, uh, what is a success quote or mantra? Let's get that motivational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. So what do you got for us? Well, the one that I, I say often in my speeches and, and 
that's unique to me other than you know there's there's a lot of mantras out there that a lot of people have already heard before so I'll say so the, the one the two that are in the book that I push a lot one is if you're not impressive then by default you're unimpressive and in yeah. the restaurant industry that's a hard pill to swallow people don't think if I'm doing everything right then I'm fine and yeah. well fine is death finds the worst word in a restaurant like oh that that table's fine yeah it's horrible that means everything sucks it means that they're gonna not complain too much tonight on premise complain a lot on the drive home and they're never coming back yeah and then the other thing is the complacency of today is the direct enemy of tomorrow whenever you're like this is great we're fine we we figured it out or our no no we our process is is totally cool there we're good I could call it a day when you're not questioning what sucks. You're just on your path to death. Yeah, man. I love that. And that's like how you start the book. Really? You really dive into that, that mindset that like, okay, is not good enough. You really have to strive to be something special. You really have to, you can't settle for being just like everybody else. You have to have a unique selling proposition. I think you even get into that expression in itself. Um, so where does it make sense to start telling your story when, I mean, cause you didn't have, you weren't like, in high school thinking like I'm going to graduate and become a pizzeria owner. That no. wasn't your plan. No, I mean nothing nothing about this plan <laughs> lands here. I'm a I'm a kid who had a Marine Corps father who was born and raised in Manhattan. I lived on both coasts in New York and in San Francisco. Was on my path to become an officer candidate in the Marine Corps through working restaurant jobs and going to college and planning on law school and then the world threw threw me for a loop and i was thinking about this the other day it's kind of like i was swinging on a par five which i I don't no restaurant person plays golf you (laughs) play golf often and you own a restaurant you sold your restaurants you you do not work in a restaurant (laughs) but it's imagine i was gonna hit a par five and the ball hooked real bad and landed on the green on another green <laughs> but it's like it's it's like a foot away from the hole on another green and nobody saw it <laughs> and, and i'm like well i guess i'll just play this hole yeah that's that's what my life is so what path were you on take us back to when you're a young man uh, straight out of high school like what what did you see your life being like where what, what what trajectory were you on i i genuinely felt like i was going to go to college be successful in college and then go and probably do something in law or business. And if I look at all the guys I graduated high school with, that's what all of them did. They're all financial planner in the Wall Street of San Francisco or something along those lines across the board. I, uh, I'm i a big proponent of the music and not just proponent, but I like music. I like a lot of different songs. And as a kid, there's a song that said, you know, find your back door in life. You know, don't go through, okay, I have to go through this. I have to do this. And I always felt that that I wanted to find my option and I never anticipated that being a restaurant never anticipated that being pizza what people will say to me oh do you Mike did, did you always know pizza was for you did you always love pizza and I'm like yeah I always love pizza you always love pizza yeah. that's a stupid question if you don't love pizza <laughs> you should just die you should yeah you're a garbage person that should be wrapped up in in a carpet and cut up just just go away i hate i really do genuinely i don't have disdain for people i don't say things negatively about people but when i hear someone say i don't like pizza i what's wrong with I, it? I okay maybe you're gluten intolerance maybe you're you're um totally different dairy issues that. but <laughs> like, someone's just like i don't know i don't like pizza just 
I, <laughs> it's like someone. I don't like movies. I don't like music. It's I don't like happiness. They, they might as well say <laughs> I hate puppies and cookies. Right. <laughs> That's funny. So um, we're kind of leaving out a big part of your life, though. You did go into the military. Yeah. You do come from a military family. Yes. So get into that. Well, with uh, I went to officer candidate school, which is you have to be allowed to go in, and that's different than enlisted of the Marine Corps. I, my dad was uh, served in Vietnam. He did so much in the Marine Corps. There's so many things that he had revolutionized. He is the guy who was there in the 60s and volunteered to go to Vietnam. In the 70s, he redid how all of recruitment was done. In the 80s, all the guys that you would see in Fox News that were like talking heads, speaking about whatever political thing, he at some point worked for my dad. And he really should have gone on to be a general. The only thing was that he would call out BS of his superiors. Oh. Quite, he, was just, he had no problem saying the emperor has no clothes. He, he's not a political guy. He's not going to play the game. And if he had, because he was so beloved by his staff, or anyone that worked for him, he easily could have been a general. My brother went in the Marines as enlisted, and he had a you know a great following of, of people, and then he went into Alamo Rent-A-Car, just like my dad, and went on to become vice president of Alamo Rent-A-Car. My dad did this and revolutionized Newark, New Jersey, uh, Alamo Rent-A-Car, and what he did is a really, if someone remembers car rental back in the early 90s, they would put a bumper sticker on the car of who, this is Alamo's car, this is Hertz's <laughs> yeah. car, and he said, hey, can we not have a billboard saying, please murder me and steal this car to everyone coming out of Newark, New Jersey? <laughs> uh, that was the first thing he did, and he, had, I could just talk about him for this whole podcast, but that led me to believe in the love of leadership and driving the car. My brother did the same thing at Alamo Car. And then I went to the Marine Corps, and it was extremely arduous because I'm not knowing I'm a type 1 diabetic, and at any point, I can get dropped. Mm. I have to run through faster than enlisted guys. I have to run three miles in 24 minutes, so that's an eight-minute mile, and then do, I think it was like 15 pull-ups and 100 sit-ups, and that was just the PF, that was the physical fitness test. That's nothing compared to that's anything. That's just to qualify. That's one qualifier. element to qualify. And here I am. At first, I'm losing fat because if you, type 1 diabetes is juvenile diabetes. You lose all the fat in your body, then you start to lose all the muscle. So here I am showing up. They're pretty lean, and then I start to lose my muscle while other people who showed up decently lean are now gaining, gaining muscle, muscle or, yeah. and I'm can't feel my face and i can't i'm having what's called a diabetic neuropathy i'm everything all my extremities are and i never go to sick bay i can't feel my face or my feet that well but i'm not going to sick bay and i was just so hard-headedly stubborn i'm going to beat this and i didn't know i had type 1 diabetes i had popped for the urine test on the entrance in san francisco but they just had me pee on a piece of litmus paper and it turned to color. And they're like, this says you're diabetic. And I said, well, I had a bunch of orange juice this morning. All right, fine by me. Oh, man. So that I got past that test. And then in, so did, you, did you maybe know that or did you have a fear that maybe you were or did you just think no it was a concept. Okay. I had no awareness. When they said you're diabetic, I said, I'm not 90 years old. Yeah. And I had a bunch of orange juice. I didn't even know it could happen to kids. It was really, really stupid of me. Yeah. And I was uh, a type of diabetic will pee several times a day 
lose a lot of weight. You have no insulin in your body. That's what's occurring. A type 2 diabetic has insulin, but it's being compressed usually by weight, or they might have a naturally occurring disposition, and they could probably help it or fix it with a pill. I just had a pancreas that stopped one day. Yeah. No insulin. And here I am in the Marine Corps. And anyone that was talking to me or was directly in charge of me liked me, even though they're just cursing at me nonstop and well, giving me a hard time. Yeah. I could tell that they got what I was going for. Anyone that did it, it was like, this guy's performance is starting to suck. Well, his tests are great and his leadership value is the highest in your platoon. But why is he running even slower than he was last week when he was not the fastest guy when he even showed up here? And it became this debate. And I was, this is one summer when I'm 20 years old. It's yeah. not the defining thing of my life, but it taught me so, 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 so much. And there is a, uh, my platoon sergeant was also a really special character. Uh, his name at the time was, um, he was Sergeant Jean-Paul Corvel, and he then became gunnery sergeant while we were there in the year 2002. And then he went on to fight in Fallujah and do all sorts of battles and went, and and uh, left, retired in 2013 as a master sergeant, which is just two notches away from the highest you can get. The guy was such a motivational guy that it tapped it. I said, I want to be like that guy. He was always really, really excited for the day, dedicated to everyone while also commanding a presence and not being a cheerleader. He's not a peppy dude, yeah. but he's really in control of the situation. And I... I wanted, I admired him. I admired my dad, I, my brother, and all these different great influences that I had seen. And I knew what it took to lead. And you could look at pizza and the restaurant industry, and I have a very fervent love of pizza, but it's a widget, too. Make the widget as great as possible, then make the experience the best as possible. And there you go. Yeah. I, I kind of, if you to ask answer that question about high school, I figured I would end up selling or doing something but i would try and find something i like my dad didn't aspire to work for alamo rent a car but he thrived in that environment and i figured okay i'll end up working for some company and i'll do great things for them that's yeah. genuinely so, all i thought i mean i think the military is a great option for young people it teaches so much about discipline and just you know mm-hmm. it really just helps form i feel just like a real a realistic approach to like what it takes to be successful in life I was, what, what was the biggest takeaway you took that you think influences you to, the, to this day the biggest impact the marine corps had on you there's always something else and it can always be better mm. and the second you fall in love with your own bs you're dead in the water mm. and you're a danger to yourself and your team yes man i love that and i mean maybe we can come back to this later when we talk about how you've started your business but what, what ended up happening did you just I mean, did they just finally figure out, oh, you're a diabetic, you can't be here? And did you just I, get, like... My, uh, it, for OCS, you you leave, and then you would graduate college and then come in um, as, a, as a second lieutenant. You would just be a commission, you would then go to the basic school and, and be a Marine. You don't technically become a Marine at OCS. It happens after college. So you just go home. A lot of people don't come back. A lot of people do OCS, graduate the, or graduate the program, and then don't come back. It's a, they have a really high attrition rate. There's very few Marine Corps officers currently because of how high the attrition rate is. I just went home, and then I'm like, okay, now I'm going to go to a hospital. At first, it was, I feel sick. 
but not normal sick. I, I don't want to walk upstairs. I've been running miles. I don't, I don't even want to walk upstairs. And my brother's like, have some beers. Let's get some food in you. You're, yeah. You look like a skeleton. Let's go get some more f- f- sugar and food and yeah. booze and everything I shouldn't be yeah. having. <laughs> and it makes me feel even worse. Oh, my gosh. And then uh, and I was visiting him in Florida at the time where he was working out of before I went back to college. And then it got to a point where he's like, you can't even feel your face at all. I'm like, I can't feel anything on my face. And I thought this is really stupid. I thought I was like poisoned by something maybe. Yeah. And I went to the hospital and they brought out a cartoon chart that they give to children. And it was like, <laughs> do you have, you it's like, do you have a, a of what type one diabetes is like pee in the middle of the night? Have this, have this, have this, have this. And I'm like, they just looked at it like, do you have this? Do you do this? Do you do this? Do you do this? I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, you're the most obvious case of type 1 diabetes we've ever seen. Where have you been? <laughs> what have you been doing? you just been home sleeping all, all summer? I'm like, not exactly. <laughs> yeah, uh, I was yeah. in Quantico last week. Jesus. And they're like, hold on. How and are then, you alive? And then they did, took my blood sugar. And your blood sugar, a normal person's blood sugar is 80 to 120. Mine was over 1,200. Damn. And they had seen people go comatose in the 500 range. So it was just... That's probably a testament to the physical, you know, shape you were in, maybe, that you were able to go up to... Get to levels up that high. I, just, I don't know what plays into it, but... I just turned everything off in my brain, except I will complete this task in front of me. Nothing will stop me from doing this. Put one foot in front of the other, run the mile, run the hill. And it's not fun. It's not like running on a track. No. There's this hill in uh, Quantico called the Chosen Hill. <laughs> and it's not chosen like you're chosen, but chosen after... The Battle of the Frozen Chosen in the Korean War. This is a horrible battle. They named all these roads just after the worst wars in the history of the Marine Corps and the really nasty wars. They named the hardest hills. It was just a straight 45 degree angle up. Jesus. And you're not running in, you're running in boots and you have weight on you and it's just pure pain. And that was wake up, run, and then walk to breakfast well breakfast is a mile away on the fastest foot walk you've ever done in your life to slam food in seven minutes or less to then be completely sleep deprived to then go get stand or sit through an hour of class you had classroom yeah to then be messed if it was a black flag because it was too hot because it's virginia in the middle of summer just be completely messed with for five hours in your bunk and for as bad as that is it doesn't compare to how gnarly like seal training and recon training and once you're a marine all that training is it's a much different type of training enlisted training at times is probably harder than ocs but ocs at any point that you back down or you show the slightest bit of this isn't my thing you're gone yeah, you have to be a leader the whole time. So the reason why I want to put emphasis on this is because it was only two years after this, at the age of twenty-two, that you opened your own place. Yes, and I just feel like this had to, like, if you could have overcome that and the the, the challenge, if you were stubborn enough to keep on going through all of that, um, I mean, I feel like it must have set you up for success. It must have given you some level of. I don't know, like just hardening that set you up for anything. Like anything after that must have just been a cakewalk. It, I mean, you're saying exactly what I was thinking at the time. And keep in mind, I'm 20 when I'm in the Marines. I get done. I don't know why I feel like I. everyone liked me here, but a lot of people didn't like me. People from another platoon would be like, that guy? That guy <laughs> had the highest leadership quotient? The guy that, that sucks at running? 
the well, guy that, so I was. Yeah, but you got to think these kids, like they're kids. At the age of 18 or even 20, you're still like mentally a kid. You don't fully mature until your late 20s, you know, as far well, I'm as talking about the, the, the platoon the two, sergeant. Oh, really? Even, oh, really? They were coming from other platoon sergeants were coming into my barracks to mess with me. Oh. I became the sport of the whole battalion <laughs> because what I also learned at that time, and not to just speak my praises, but what I learned at that time is how on my feet I could handle it, it, it's like improv without having an improv class I'd have a guy come in I have no sleep in my system oh Bausch oh I heard, uh, heard you did good on your leadership quotient Bausch oh you think you're so effing good you think you're this and this Cannon Bausch does not believe that he's so effing good Cannon Bausch is this and this and that we're having a verbal war I can't break I can't laugh. I can't. And they're saying hilarious stuff. They're just <laughs> destroying me. And I'm going toe to toe. And I'm not just backing down. And go. Uh, uh, I, I mean, because uh, uh, then I would get owned. So I'm going toe to toe with a lot of these guys that are coming into my barracks to mess with me. That made them want to come back more. Yeah. Like, oh, you sucked on your run today while well, you got the highest leadership, uh, you know, billet. But about. isn't that like, aren't they trying to break people down? Isn't that uh-huh. like, kind of, like that, isn't that like the goal is to like. It's not the break- goal to break you down at, and in, in enlisted, it's the goal to break you down and build you back up. Uh, in OCS, it's to see if you break under pressure, and then you're gone. Okay. And I didn't break. So that was a feather in my cap. And to your point, when I'm 22, sleep deprivation, you're going to have to get up and make dough at you know 6 and come home at 1030. Sure. Yeah. Who gives a crap? I don't care. I can do that. <laughs> it was... It, it made everything in my life have perspective and like I was saying earlier once I was in it though I was having a, a conniption of what is going on with me why am I I want this it should be mine I should own this right now why did that why I know I can run faster what the hell's wrong with me and then this weight lifted off my shoulders in the hospital when I'm gaining I gained 30 pounds overnight wow because they not put overnight it, really overnight. No, overnight wow man. because insulin into my system had it, I was an insulin shock of my where my, did it all go is it just in your gut it's not like that. It's like just you're dehydrated. You're so immensely uh, dehydrated that, yeah. that you, you're water weight. It's a lot of just water and the insulin just made my whole body just absorb sponge. it. Yeah. The sponge it up and my all of my uh, my ankles ballooned up and everything. And I went from like 135 to overnight to one like 40 to by the time I got out of the hospital, I was like 158. By the time I went back home to California, all of like a week later, I was like 165. Wow, that's incredible, man. The body is such a weird thing, dude. Um, so what happened from this experience to realizing, okay, I'm a diabetic. This is why I had all these challenges. Two years later, what happened in your life to kind of put you on this path? Like what, what made you decide like I'm going to open a pizzeria? That was more just serendipitous. So I get, I go back to California. I'm still working restaurant job. I'm working for the YMCA. I'm working for St. Mary's College as an RA. All stuff where I lead people don't know that this, that I'm learning th- that craft. And I figure, well, I was planning to go to law school. I should still go to law school. I have everything set up. All of my the courses I'm taking are geared towards going to law school. I take the LSATs. I do good. I get accepted to Golden Gate University Law School. I go to my first day of orientation. I look around. I saw nothing about it that was welcoming or that made me think I want to drop another $150,000 into this. Nothing about it felt like this is where you need to be in life. And that same week, my brother got transferred from Fort Lauderdale to Tulsa. And I've never been to the Midwest at all, for that matter. And he said, hey, I'm getting transferred to Tulsa. If you ever wanted to do a restaurant, 
this would be the time. So he knew that you had, you must have been talking about maybe wanting to do a restaurant. It's really stupid. It's just genuinely, you're adding more thought than there ever was placed. My brother's like, it'd be fun, right? Yeah, so, we'll, we'll do a restaurant <laughs> thing. And I'm like, yeah, I need, what to everybody get, thinks. I need to get out of California. And I want to, and then I visited Tulsa first and I saw the opportunity. We didn't know where it would be. We didn't know what we would do. We didn't think even pizza. Just, we'll do a, we'll do a thing. And uh, I then packed up my stuff. I went, when I back, went back home to California and I was just even, all my friends were moving on or moving to LA for their job or moving there. And I just felt aimless and I don't like feeling aimless. It's not my thing. And I said, yeah, let's do it. So I deferred law school, drove to Tulsa from California on a two day drive, unpacked my stuff and said, okay. And at and first, like, what do we do now? Uh, I guess figure out how to get the license. Okay. <laughs> Wait, so real quick, what was your brother? You said he transferred. He was in the military. Was he in the military? No, 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 no. My brother, my brother was in the military till like 1989, right before the first Desert Shield that des- became Desert Storm. Before that, he gets out. He's then kind of floundering in life. He's 15 years older than me. Okay. He he was in when we were walking in. He was walking out. He um then becomes a rental agent at Alamo Rent-A-Car. And from a rental agent, the person's like, oh, would you like to upgrade your vehicle? Becomes vice president of the company. Okay. Just worked the ranks. Gotcha. He revolutionized the way they did the algorithm of understanding how many cars they need in their fleet. Became pretty indispensable. He, you know, one boss did something dumb. He got that guy's job. The next boss moved (laughs) away. He took his job and then moved up the corporate ladder to the point that he's in their base headquarters of Fort Lauderdale is moving from Fort Lauderdale to Tulsa. And in 2004 in Tulsa, where we are now. Verizon, Capital One, Honeywell, Enterprise Rent-A-Car, National Rent-A-Car, and Alamo Rent-A-Car all moved to the same business district park because of tax incentives. So this, the town that we started in, Owasso, a suburb of Tulsa, had a 10,000 influx of people in the course of a year. Yeah. So it was like, strike while the iron tot, let's move to this town. That was one of the things I was hoping that would come out of this. I mean, there's a lot to do with timing in in this. Like, I mean, there's so many, it's usually people who are like outrageously successful, have everything it takes to be successful as far as the discipline, the leadership, all the things you cover in your book. But there's, sometimes there's that, that, that wave that sometimes there's timing plays into it. Um, Do you think that played into it at all? It, It was very good to have that influx. It got us off the ground. The problem was everyone else saw that influx as well. So all the big corporate guys that opened a restaurant, we opened up within six months of that influx of people at 10,000. Yeah. We were open in six months, which is unheard of. Yeah. I mean, really, it was a two-month sprint because November 15, 2004, we get the LLC. We decide the location. We're open January 8, 2005. So we're okay. talking really a two-month yeah. sprint. And then we're open, and by the end of that year... Fuddruckers is being rumored and Target's coming to town and all these yep. things are coming into town. And then between 2006 and 2009, 40 restaurants opened, of which by 2010, 37 had closed. Wow. That's and crazy. that was that was the trying time. That was the, oh, God, yeah. are we going to get through this? Or There's so much competition. They have every advantage. All I had was just ingenuity and the determination to grind any issue out or figure it out. And those companies, you can't, if you're Fuddruckers, you can't just change the menu because it's not working. I could. Yeah. Okay. This is great. This is a great point to take our first break to thank our sponsors. And we'll be right back to dive into how you execute the first couple of years. One of the biggest lessons I've learned hosting Restaurant Unstoppable is that 
it's impossible to be everything to everybody. You're better off being really good at what you already do well and partnering with those who compliment you. And I'll tell you right now, I am not the best resource out there for all things, PDFs, templates, checklists, you name it. But I do know who the best is, and that is restaurantowner.com because they're constantly being recommended organically on the show. So instead of trying to compete with restaurantowner.com, I've decided to partner with restaurantowner.com. Right now, when you join Restaurant Unstoppable Network, you get six months access, free access to restaurantowner.com. And that includes their entire content library of PDFs, spreadsheets, checklists, templates, webinars, articles, the list goes on, and you also get access to Restaurant Startup and Growth Magazine, the digital copy. In addition, you get access to their e-training platform, which allows you, plus three of your managers and 30 of your employees to get access to it. Uh, it's it's incredible what they're doing. It's incredible that they're offering us this deal, and you're a knucklehead if you don't take advantage of it. So right now, Go to the show notes of this episode and join the network. You'll find a link to join for 30 days free on us, and you'll get that six months free to restaurantowner.com. We're back, and uh, let's get into just the, what was it like? Like, just really paint that picture of the things you wish you knew then that you knew that you know now through trial and error. Like, what was it like? Well, there's there is the beauty of each screw up teaching the lesson that I'm happy it taught me. I mean, if I could have, if, if the book on slice, I'm not just shamelessly plugging myself, but really that book is a lot of it. It's written to me at 22. Yeah. Say, Hey, this is what you should do, or here's how to build up a system or okay. You have the, the nuts and bolts of this, but really understand this. And that's the things I wish I had known more of, but it's like, I knew it. I call it gravity. Everyone knows gravity existed before, or everyone knew gravity existed before Sir Isaac Newton put an apple that went up and came down. He just defined it. So he said, I, why? Yeah. Yeah. He just said, okay, that's the law of gravity. Yeah. So I defined the certain rules and, and laws. I wish I had an employee handbook day one. Yeah. I wish I, I think the dumbest thing I assumed was that common sense was common. Nope. You know, it's just, you're like, okay, well, if I tell them what to do they'll do it or if they say yes then that must mean they know what to do it doesn't mean they know what to do you have to verify that they know what to do and don't manage people like you would manage yourself yeah and I, but i also think there's a level of you can't let yourself be what is it, uh um oh paralysis by analysis like where you just where you are afraid to start because you want everything to be perfect oh I think, yeah i do think the approach you took is the best approach which is just start maybe it's better to have something of a foundation as far as an operations like a basic idea but you're not going to fine-tune those things until years later because you're constantly learning what you think might be the best way won't be the you, you need trial and error like it's not going to be perfect on day one i i fully agree i would highly suggest someone not empower a 22 year old to start a restaurant with limited restaurant experience <laughs> for sure but you, guys, you had a little bit of experience right i worked in i worked two different pizzerias which i didn't pull my recipes from either even i had worked fine dining as an expediter with a little bit of a server i learned more i was better prepared for the job from the marine corps and being a camp counselor at the YMCA. Okay. Camp counselor at the YMCA taught me when I have a bus full of kids and we get dropped off in downtown Oakland and they're six years old, how to <laughs> how to get them all to obey 
so that they don't walk into the freeway yeah. at the fortune cookie factory. All real <laughs> stories. Like, let's play touch the wall. And if you don't touch the wall, you're dead. <laughs> you, you might actually die. So those corralling kids, because it was interesting, too, is I was 18 when those kids were six. Here I am, 22. And my kids are a little bit older, but they're basically the same age. Yeah. And they've grown up with me. And here I am, 22, trying to control 18-year-olds. I think there's a lot of mistakes then that I knew. And I, my brother was working his job at Alamo Rent-A-Car. And we're like, let's make it a family thing. Let's have them all know us. Having your staff know where you live to pick up their check is a really dumb idea. And that's what, in the first year, it was like, well, they could just swing by the house and pick up the check. I absolutely hate that. I wanted, I think creating boundaries is really smart that a lot of opening restaurants don't do. They want it to be, we're all family here. I hate, I do not like that. I do not prescribe to that. They're a team. I will go to the wall for my team, but they're a teammate. We will all not, if we become familial for whatever extra reason, great, but that's not necessarily the goal. It's not the goal. And making profit is the goal. The product was not nearly as good as it should have been, but it was pretty darn good for opening with limited experience. But I was okay to say, okay, this could be better. Okay. And then my best, biggest lesson that when, when we were just getting inundated with all these other restaurants opening, I wanted to stand out and I didn't realize that the cardinal sin that we that we engaged in was trying to fit in at first. And the more you could stand out is the smartest thing. So what do you mean by trying to fit into the community or trying to fit in with your employees? No, neither. Trying to fit in like, this is what an Italian restaurant should look like. Gotcha. And this is what an Italian restaurant should sell. Yeah. And, oh, Cisco sells this on their Italian line, so we should sell that. Yep. You just... The, the food reps are going to be like, well, we have this frozen product that you could sell. You'll make money on it. Okay, well, I guess you guys know what you're doing. And you see, you've, you've been to a few Italian restaurants, so you play the same music. You make the decor look the same that you've seen. And it's like we're all in this middle school approach to a, to a middle school dance. Like, hey, everyone just look the same. Yeah. Stay on the wall. Maybe someone will dance with me. Just try not to stick out. Yeah. And that's the wrong way to approach this. What is the right way to approach it? Be the most heightened version of you as possible. So I want to see and experience something different that I haven't been to before. Yeah, and I think it goes back. We mentioned it in the beginning of the episode, the unique selling proposition. And I say all the time, like behind every great restaurant is a great person. And if if you're going to be showing up to that place every day, it has to be an extension of who you are. Yes. Because you have to, that's the only way you'll endure, in my opinion. And plus, like you were pointing out that's your unique selling proposition that's your that's how you stand out it's an extension of your personal brand very much so and as the brand in and of itself i mean the term brand gets used a lot but it's a true it's a true thing the voice of the restaurant the look the brand i equate to i'm a comedy nerd i love movies i'm a big i could recite the history of snl like that's 60 incredible. year olds can <laughs> recite uh you know who was on the mets in 1958 I, I know that about SNL. And because of my comedy nerdness, I look at comedians, how they develop their act over years. They all knew jokes, but then, oh, that's a Mitch Hedberg joke. He's done with a certain style, a certain approach, and he has a certain beat at the at the mic. And that becomes his brand, which maybe his clothes has something to do with it, but more likely than not, they don't. Seinfeld has his. 
Chappelle has his, but it takes years to do that. And in a restaurant, you do need to develop your voice mm. and style. And, oh, this is the place that kind of does this thing and does that thing. And that takes time of playing pin the tail on the exactly. donkey, which is a blind. You're blind, blindly trying to pin the tail on the donkey. But if you do pin the tail on the donkey once, you're like, do that again. Yeah. And all the times that you said, oh, I knew I was going to pin the tail on the donkey this time and I was wrong. Be smart enough and have a a small enough ego that you could say, okay, we won't do that again, no matter how in love with it you are. Yeah, and that's the ready, fire, aim approach that you're describing right now. Like, you just got to take stabs, and then mm-hmm. you're going to see what happens, and then you readjust and keep on going until you hit the center, right? Yes. Um, and then once you find it, you know, commit it to writing, create a standard or create a system around it. Um, so some of the things you've identified up to this point as far as the, the big challenges you had, uh, you didn't have any boundaries. You, you, you People were too close to you early on. You wish you had an operations manual, a handbook of sorts. Um, what were some of the other things, looking back at that time, something that somebody's listening to this right now, like just tell them the one thing that you wish you did that you could, you know, what is that thing? We also didn't have enough money. <laughs> you know, you got to have a lot of screw up money. Your first restaurant was only what? 14. Oh no, it was originally 14 seats. You brought the 30 seats. Yes. I read in the book. Um, but what is the benefit of starting small like that? Benefit of starting small is if you do screw up, it's not mountains of money on the line yeah. and not everyone's job. If you have like seven people on staff and you lose one. It's like, it, it feels much more yeah. gigantic because you lost one seventh of your staff. But, it's not something that you can't just redeem and come back from immediately. Yeah. If you, if your food cost is at 40% right now, if that happened to us over like the course of a month, we'd have to debate, are we closing, mm-hmm. you know, but at one store, it's, it's small enough that the consequences aren't so gigantic that you can't redeem yourself. Yeah. That's the benefit. Screw. I mean, we had six years of practice. So you also, you talk a lot about um, partnerships and communication. Uh, get into really quick, like, what the dynamic between you and your brother were and what made this partnership a good partnership from day one. I mean, it, it was really hard at first because we, we didn't set that. I mean, I think that was another thing I would say is, hey, define this relationship yes. more because we didn't have it defined at all. My brother got a bonus. He's putting the money into the restaurant. And then it's like, oh, I'll be there every day. Well, he couldn't. He physically could not be there every day. And then his actual boss is like, actually driving in to check and see if he's there he's coming in for lunch all the time why is your boss here for lunch all the time he's like oh he's coming to see if i'm here which is crazy in the corporate world like why do you give a crap just you care about but that's he had a boss who was on him which is just insane because my brother's a vp of the company a guy who's like one notch above him on vp like head vp it was it was very very odd behavior Nonetheless, so he's there on the weekends, and then now, what can happen if you own if you work your ass off all week, and that this is where you go on the weekends? Is it could become a clubhouse, you know? It's like, hey, bring all the people that are our friends and family that work to get this place open, and we'll all hang out, we'll drink, and we'll have a good time. Well, then it's not a restaurant; it's a clubhouse. That became a clubhouse for a little bit. I, I, you know, you're drinking, you're having a good time, but then you're like, this isn't this isn't what we should be doing, right? Yeah. How did you learn that wasn't what you should be doing? Something I mean, immediately I knew it wasn't ideal business because I see I never saw my owners at my other restaurant jobs that yeah. were like ponying up to the bar with their friends. Yeah. I knew enough to know that. But at the time, you're like, OK, well, let's just figure this thing out first before we create hard rules on life. Mm-hmm. So 
getting started, I mean, it sounds like your brother was pretty successful. He had 15 years on you. He had some time to establish some type of, um, you know, some foundation around him, right? Um, was that part of the partnership? Was he part of the, like, did, was he investing his own money? Were you investing your, cause you couldn't have had too much at 22 years I, I gave, we said it pretty clearly. I'm going to give all my sweat equity and give up all my 20s to this. He would come in when he could. And that was it. That was all there was to it. And then growing it from there. And we got the business by store two. So did you, did you need outside investment? Nope. Okay, beautiful. Why is that important, do you think? It's ideal. I, I warn heavily against investors because if it's clearly delineated what the investor is investing in, what their return will be, there's a way it can work. But in a restaurant game, more likely than not, it's not thought up. Someone thinks they're owning a restaurant when they invest in a restaurant, mm. and then they want to have say in that restaurant. Yes. It gets really dirty really quick. I give the example of like, if, if we had an investor and they just said, well, you guys didn't make as, money lot, as much money last month. You know, I see a lot of these college kids drinking Four loco. You should <laughs> sell Four loco. I'm like, well, I don't think we should. I'm going to need you to sell for a loco. Yeah, and you really don't have much of a choice when you when your money is not when your skin's not. I mean, you're putting your sweat equity in, but you don't have any other assets that are really deal breakers. Um, like you can be replaced, but the physical building, all the the ovens, all the things that people own can't. You know, like, sorry, what I'm saying is, like you, if, if you own the restaurant, if you put your money in, you really do control everything at the end yes. of the day. So um, it's really important. Plus, you started small. Was it 1,500 square feet? Yes. A really small restaurant and and by year two we had doubled the size of yes. it and taken over the singular wireless which is tells you how long ago this was before it was at&t it was singular wireless yeah. with a c and doubled it and uh but my brother you know was able to give more time to the restaurant and eventually by 2010 or so they wanted to move a lot of their operations to st louis and he said i'm not took his severance and then was able to fully dedicate himself to the Restaurant by 2012, 2013, and then, uh, you know, it's me and him operating it. Oh, seven in years ten. into it. Yeah, and I, I, I don't want to underplay. It wasn't like we didn't meet or talk about stuff, but I was boots on the ground running the show, making the calls on everything. Yeah. Doing all the payroll, doing all the marketing, doing all the everything. And then he would be there on, on a Friday or Saturday night. And then it was back to me doing it. Yeah, but I think it's important to realize. I think people, when they want to get into this industry, they look at people like you and they say, that's where I need to start. But the truth of the matter is it took you almost, what, eight, seven years to get to the point where you even had a second location. And even before that, you scaled your, your first location. You doubled in size. Like you stayed. Like growth comes from the inside out. Yes. You know, um, when I say that, what's going through your mind? I, we wanted to open a second store by year four. We couldn't get a bank to give us the time of day, and we had clean books. And even at that, the our bank in a in the suburb, the bank we were depositing our money at every day was like, we'd love to, and we give them all the stuff they asked for, and they're like, yeah. Well, we went and talked to our president. And he doesn't want to do it because you're a restaurant. Yeah. And we go to the big bank. Well, they're a big bank. They should have a lot of money. Yeah. They're the first fastest no you'll get. Yeah. And this is uh, goes back to one of the reasons why I think it's so ins- important to start where you can to start small. Because if you can afford it at that point, then w- as you start to do better, that's excess income. That's how you scale. You start putting that money away. And it doesn't happen overnight. No. But it happens from cash flow management, knowing what you need to survive, keeping your liabilities as low as possible, and then in reinvesting in your business and that takes a long time i think the macro point of all that is if you look into the restaurant industry as your cash grab Mm. 
it's profitable. But if you look at it as a cash grab, I'm going to open one that I'll have two or three by you know year three or four. It's a no brainer. We'll staff it. No, and then I'll have someone run it. You're going to fail. You're going to waste an extreme amount of money. Mm-hmm. Even if you say, "Well, I'll pay them the best amount of money," you're not necessarily going to get the best people. You really, truly have to be boots on the ground, especially in a new concept. Develop it. Really live it. That it's it gives you happiness just that it exists, not that you're getting a money on the return. And at that point, then you could tweak it to the point that you could make it profitable. Mm-hmm. If you start in as a cash grab that you really should be buying a franchise and have stupid franchise money. Yeah. And when I say franchise, there's a, not, a lot of BS there where people buy... They're buying a system. They are, and there's so many... When people will say, you should franchise, I'm like, I don't think my system is... I'm one of the most systematic guys I know in the industry, and I don't think that I'm in a position for this to be systemized enough for me to sell it to someone. But when these people buy a franchise that's a single unit, and the second store is the franchise. It's so inherently stupid. <laughs> it's like you've never even proven the concept. Yeah. You've never even proven the systems, and you're selling them. Right? That's like that's like an, an immensely obese person who went to run a mile, who's now going to sell their system for weight loss to someone else. <laughs> I love that analogy. That's great. Uh, so, okay, let's start talking. You said you wish on day one you had a handbook. At what point in your journey did you start to really develop these HR items, these systems, these processes? Was it before location number two? Was it location three and four? Like when did oh, this I stuff was really all happen? about every system I could create along the path. By 2000, and I would create something here or there. And then uh, one of my friends who worked a very corporatized restaurant job in California just said, hey, here's all of it. Mm. And then I tried to, before you had the technology to scan it in. I just ended up retyping the whole thing, the two, whole 100-page document. And every time it said California, I said Tulsa or Oklahoma. <laughs> and I I looked at some of the stuff that didn't apply, but almost all of it I put in. And that was the first thing I did. So they, 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 they say all the greatest artists are also they steal, you know. And I think that's a great lesson is that you you have to go to your neighbors. I think this is why it's so important for us to come together and to share knowledge, to support one another mm-hmm. and to say, hey, like, this is how you do it. Like, don't be afraid to go ask people for help and oh, just yeah. do a little bit. Eventually, you know, you that's a reference. That's a starting point. Eventually, you want to make it your own. But it sounds like that's what you did. You pulled something. You had a foundation, a starting point, And over time, you evolved those systems to be custom to what you needed. Yes, I, I did that with every system, every managerial task and book. Yeah. And then I started to notice. I was like, there's nothing that says to do this. Mm. And then I would write that down and. Well, that's what I meant by earlier when I say you just got to start because you're not. It's not going to be perfect on day exactly. one. It's going to be, it's, and it's never going to stop. It's always going to be. It's evolving. still going exactly. So take us. You have a, a whole chapter dedicated to systems in your book. Yes. What are some of the most important lessons we need to know regarding systems? A system is only as good as it's evaluated and how it's maintained. It's a big part of a system. You can have tons of systems. And a lot of people do. You could overwhelm your staff with systems unless they're. You have the ones that are the ones that matter that are going to be checked and then inspect them rather than expect that they get done and manage your people on the top level. Like people say, how do you have all these stores? How do you have 350 employees? I do have 350 employees and I care about all of them, but I really have more like 20 employees that I manage and I make sure they manage their 20 to 30 employees. And that's the even keel approach to keep it all under control. And again, that goes back to the military where you have a battalion, a platoon, a fire team. These are you you start small and you open big and then they're responsible for X 
and and it just trickles down and you see how it goes and that keeps things even keeled looking at that approach and doing that in a restaurant made me more apt and prepared as far as creating these systems there's a lot of ones that we've created that i had never seen before and i put the ones i thought were really interesting in the book but anything i could come up with i say this to my staff like let's create a system for something right now and they're like well what are we gonna do and i i'll push I, I have a pepper shaker right in front of me here so like a, a, a pepper mill I'm like here's the system for flipping a pepper mill and they're like okay i'm gonna flip it and i flip it in front of them I'm like, did I flip it? They're like, well, you caught the other end. I didn't do a full one, full 360 flip. I just did a 180 flip. Yeah. <laughs> do we decide as a group that it should be a 180 or 360 flip? Uh, it should be a 360 flip. Okay, okay. And then I flipped it again. It was a whole 360 turn. Okay, we verified how to do it. Now I want to see you do it. And then I could give it to them. I see them do it. They do it wrong. Oh, well, you did it wrong. So now, not only am I training, I'm also creating the system. Okay, if I was to document the flipping the pepper mill system, it would be place it in which hand did I do it? My right hand? Was my thumb touching it? I get. I make it obnoxious, the level of specificity a system has to have yeah. before we could even remotely expect someone else to be able to do it dependably. And that, again, goes back to the whole franchise model where it's like, just put pepperoni on the pepperoni pizza. I'm like, well, how many? Which ones? How far apart are they none of that's defined and they're selling this to someone the greatest franchise in america or the most popular franchise is not mcdonald's it's subway and subway has more the beauty of subway is you can't screw it up the person goes down the line i want the ham and cheese and they point at the ham they point yeah. at the cheese it goes on there it's it's very very verifiable they don't have to slice anything they don't have to prep anything they just open it up it takes two to three people Place makes profit. The marketing strong. A franchise that doesn't have any of that, it's it's just set up for failure. So I wanted to create, and also a big thing for my first few years was I wanted to act as if I had just opened up in Chelsea, where my dad was from, in Chelsea, Manhattan. Not act like I just opened up in Owasso. If I act like I have to be there, what would I have? I'd have a box with my logo on it. I'd have t-shirts with my logo on it. The staff would have a certain style. I would have a menu that you could hang I'm not I want to have a menu that appeals to someone who goes out to eat a lot even if in Owasso, Oklahoma they're not going out to eat a lot someone at the table does or comes from that place because a lot of people are coming from New York and Florida and Texas I got to appeal to the best palate at the table so that they say to everyone else hey this is good because if you go off the well it barely tastes different or no one will tell someone's going to tell and then you're crap yeah yeah. So, at what point? Like when you were. So it was two thousand. Was it eleven that you went to your second location? Yes, this one. Um, this location. This is and you get you get into that. This was like how you actually got to like you know envision it was what you wanted your dream right. This is you mm-hmm. had to build that. But as far as where were you? Where, where did you get your business to the point where you're like, okay, we're ready. We know that location number one doesn't need us there. Like, what did that look like when you were ready to make the jump, or were you not ready? We weren't. We certainly weren't ready. Uh, we just said we need another store. This this whole thing is predicated on us having more. We're four years deep. Yeah, I'm not. I'm living my life doing this. I don't want to be at one store. Hey, Bank One, will you talk to us? No. Bank Two, no. Bank Three, yeah, but you're going to need this and this and this and this and this and this. And this. Okay, let's work on that. The second we could, then we did. Once so I got into the store, I had brought in some managers and some other people that were helping uh, grow the business. I mean, just you know, people had worked restaurants before. And they looked at me doing what I had done, which is trying to do everything. They're like, you can't do everything here and there. You got to train these people, 
to do it like you do it. And that's when I started creating my management training so that I could leave this store and go check my other store. But when we opened this store, it hit day one just because that's where the location is and the product landed like that. And we had a bunch of staff that was excited to work for owners that gave a crap that wanted to work with them, which isn't normal. It doesn't like every restaurant has the owner who wants to throw dough on the line and and have a beer with you and talk about your goals in life. We took that. We had to do that in Owasso because there are so many options for these kids. They could work 40 jobs that are all begging to have staff. That by the time we got to Tulsa and we're willing to respect staff, it was a, almost like a new concept. What do you mean you were willing to respect staff? It took, it took getting to Tulsa to figure that out? No, I knew that? it. Okay. Inherently, I knew it. I'm yeah. saying that the staff wasn't used to having owners that cared. Okay. And by having an owner that was like, oh, hey, what are you guys into? This is cool. Really, oh, I love this peach. I love this. A lot of them are career restaurant people. Yeah. I had also never had career restaurant people work for me. I had had extracurricular staff work for me. So, so you identified what you needed to go from one to two was a management development system. Yes. What did you build that? What did that look like by the time you, by the time you came over here? It was just every word document I had ever created. And I blended them all together and made it to one cohesive document. There was no guidebook on that. There is no anything. I read as many books and I would just glean. I didn't like pilfer from there. I was like, oh, that's a really good point about humility. I'll add that into the training. But that was completely written by me. And every, I mean, I'm six years deep at this point. I have an opinion of how this should go down and what needs to occur. And I had a good feel for everything. It was just defining it and creating yeah. it to be trained. Standardizing it, writing yes. it down. So it's this is the way. There is no question. This is what the picture of perfection looks like. This is the aiming point. And you need to give that to your people. You, they need direction. What else do they need? Well, we, needed, we, we didn't have fully designed guides of the food. That we started working on by like 2014. We were so that all was three years after you even got to your, your, your second. We, I mean, it would be like I would have an Excel recipe card by year one but by year four it was all hey let's make it a little bit more specific but there's so many variables in pizza that i was just trying to wrap my head around yeah okay well what would it be how many pepperonis would it be if it was a half 14 versus a half specialty 16 and that's a lot of math and a lot of and i just could not wrap my head around it so it was me on the line and getting a feel and working with with most pizza restaurants in America, you work on a line, you show it to them until they get the muscle memory down, and you yeah. get it. And then Which, they mess it up, and then you correct them, and they mess it up again, and then you correct them again until eventually they figure it out. And that's what most of the yes. business on pizza is. It's still, I hated that. I just inherently hated that and wanted to get that more standardized. Uh, you know, by 2015, we had, we had an employee handbook, but then we wanted to have an HR representative actually evaluate it we we just started to what can we do each year we go into the year like what things can we do and by the time like 2015 came around we're 10 years deep, I'm like what do we need to do to be an adult business yeah that we're not currently doing and uh so what were those things that you identified between your second and third location that really then it sounds like that's around the time you really started to like see how tight can we get this Stupid stuff like we need a bookkeeper. Mm. We need someone that does payroll, not just me trying to figure it out or, or doing it each week or whoever else we had in the mix to it was I wanted the food was always very, very focused and solid. The approach to service standards was hire good servers and then incentivize the ones that do a good job. But it wasn't 
if someone had no awareness of service standards, here's at what should occur at service standards. Here's when they should be, a table should be approached. Here's how they should be approached for dessert. We had somewhat explained it over time. And when you have a group of, you know, 12 servers, you can say, hey, guys, I'm not seeing a lot of this or a lot of upselling a beer. Let's work on that. But not like standardized proactive when they yeah. get hired. Here's how we upsell beer. Here's how we speak to this. It was just reactive. The beauty of being on site with both stores is I can reactively fix everything often. That was the MO. It's a horrible MO. It's what got us by, but I knew it wasn't built for growth. I think there is this this point of there's like this pivot, like this pendulum swing from reactive to proactive. And it's hard to be proactive when you really just have no clue. And I think that we all start at that point where we just have no clue and we start and we're just reacting to the, we're putting out fires. We put that fire out. Let's, how can we make sure this fire never happens again? And that's where the proactive starts to come in, right? Where you're like, okay. And then you start really now now you've created these systems and processes. You're slowly starting to remove yourself from the business and you never stopped getting better. You're still working on like the more you move yourself out of it, the more you can work on it. And then you can just go like ham, you know, like and you can look at every little detail and be proactive. Um, and start reading and researching. And is that kind of what happened with you? Was it kind of a pendulum? And the leaving or stepping back wasn't purely just to work on a restaurant. It was also so that I wasn't, they weren't saying, well, we need Mike on the line. And I'm like, well, if you both stores need Mike on the line, we don't have a good situation here. It was so that I wasn't the keystone. The keystone that if you pull me out of the mix, everything fell apart, which 100% I was the keystone of our first store. Yeah. And to a degree of the second store. You were the definition of a people-dependent operation. Yes. Yes. I mean, if I'm out of the mix, it falls. And that's not ideal. And then as we grew concepts, now we kind of got, oh, we at least know the sign guy. We know how to set up the internet. That kind of stuff. You go through two or three people. Of, I mean, I've had like three signed people before who we have now who we've had pretty much nonstop for the last nine years but up until then that's the thing you who who are you buying towels from oh this company failed the food vendors we had a lot of in the first six years like we really want to partner up and be dependable and enhance each other's companies and you know get your hands shook and they're like yeah we're definitely gonna do that and then they bounce on all the promises in the next two weeks they're like that's not a partner yeah when we got with roma uh, of Springfield, a PFG subsidiary, and they really backed up what they said. We're like, okay, we can grow. We want these crazy ass tomatoes actually f- imported from Italy. We're tired of buying pallets of them. Will you stock them? We'll do it. We want to get all of our boxes with our logo on it. Will you do it? Yes. And then getting away, we were doing so much crazy stuff. And when I say crazy, I mean that aus- audaciously purchasing items in bulk so that we could have them because no one would sell them to us direct. Just And now we can, you know, it's just normal we can have it, but I had a list of all these special order products that we had to special order because no one would stock it for us because we're a single unit. What were the elements of your relationship with Romo that were different from other ones that, in, that protected your expectation, if that makes any sense? The first few years, I, I always had a good relationship with them, but they just didn't have as enough bandwidth to get the products of everything and then we were with a few different vendors and then uh the president of roma came and ate in this restaurant and just looked around and said i get it he just said to me i get it whatever you want we're gonna get and looked at both my reps people that were repping like anything they want they get because they realized that they could hang their hat on our brand 
be like this we supply restaurants like Andalini's and feel proud of it and get more business themselves if we touted them he it takes a having a rep that has vision and Fred Dallas uh, was the name of that gentleman and, and we he, you know he grew grew in that company too and was one of the big the big wigs of PFG now as a result of what he did on that small house in Springfield yeah it kind of sounds like the difference between other purveyors and Roma was that they were working almost as an extension of your team. Almost totally. of like, yeah, they're a part of your team, like, but they're on your team. They're not, you know, there's, it's more of a transformative relationship than a transactional relationship. One of the defining differences between Roma and other houses, which I'm not seeking to speak negatively of any other house, but um, a Cisco or a U.S. Foods, if they sell napkins for 60 bucks, they're that they pay for 120 bucks, but it actually costs them 20, then that's the profit. And that's what they're incentivized to sell items with high profit. Roma does not incentivize their reps based on high profit items. They just say, you need to sell the most amount of cases possible. Mm. You were selling 80 cases last week. If you could sell 85, you're going to get a bump. So it's in my reps, best interest to sell me more product regardless of price. Yeah. So they're just trying to get everything that I sell and to just own me in that sense, which means that they have to play ball on the small things. And it also means that the small things matter just as much as a big box of napkins. Okay. That's it's a really smart approach. They yeah, take. Yeah. Um, there's so much we can talk about, and it's, it's after reading your book, it's like, I only have so much time. Like, what do we focus on? Um, one thing that I did really love, and um, I wasn't sure when it came into your story, uh, was your approach to standardizing your systems. A lot of people will use for checklists specifically. I'm talking about the whiteboard. Yeah. So what, when, where were you? How many locations were you at when you, when you moved to that approach of using a whiteboard for your operations? I want to say three, maybe four. Okay. So get into that like what like what how did that come I'm at, no, I'm at three I'm at three locations and I'm visiting my mom so it's 2015 I'm visiting my mom in the hospital and I see uh and I had been wondering trying to figure this out for a while you know most checklists are on paper and then you do paper checklists you're like did it get turned in right and then I they just have a bunch of paper lying everywhere when I tried to laminate it, people would like write it in marker and it would instantly wipe away and they'd still be checklists everywhere. People were walking around with them and the marker didn't really land because laminate starts to break apart. Yeah. And I wanted something that someone in the front of house that a, a bartender could see, hey, where are we at with prep? And especially before we had our commissary kitchen, it was much bigger of a deal. I'm looking around to see if I can see the whiteboard. It's on the <laughs> it's on the walk-in door where right? okay. we can see it when we go back there. Nice. But it was... Each store was doing dough and cutting all their all their products. So they had like because we make so much stuff in house. Another reason why this is a horrible idea for a franchise. Like we're prepping fifty different items daily. Not just buying them. We're prepping fifty different items that you really had to have a tight crew at every single store. And they were showing up at five a.m. at every single store to have prep done before they got into a lunch rush to then do more prep afterwards. So it. I was like, how can I communicate this effectively to everyone where we're at currently? I don't trust iPads. I don't trust that it's not going to get flowered up and broken. And then I saw in the hospital that they had a whiteboard that just said, what is this patient's name? How are they feeling today? What time do they need to take their next medication? There's still charts that the doctor sees, but it was a communication between the nurse, the patient, and the doctor. It was very open communication, and it was a stupid-ass whiteboard. And it just dawned on me, there's nothing proprietary about printing a whiteboard. The whiteboard material isn't special paint. Yeah. It's just, you know, a, a plastic laminate on whatever it, it is. And I said, 
I texted my sign guy at the time. Is there any, you guys can do anything I want on a whiteboard. Like, of course we can. All right, great. And he's like, is that new? Is that like something you guys are like any company ever could do that? Like, <laughs> that was one of my follow up questions. If we want to take this whiteboard approach, like, and you have an example of the whiteboard in the book. So if you guys want to see what we're talking about, um, get the book. Little plug there for you. Um, but what? What? Why is that approach in your mind? Like distilled the why the whiteboard approach is better than the tablet. You kind of alluded to it already. No flower and the the the, peep, the papers are you know, they fall apart over time. So what is it? What? Why is this approach in your mind the best approach? It's just clear communication. I could see who's done it and what is left to be done. And I could see it, I could stare at a wall and be done understanding the full run of what's occurring without flipping pages, without this person looking, and then me taking it from their hands for me to look myself. Six of us could look at the same thing, and 10 seconds could go by, and we're all on the same page. In in all my research, as far as situational awareness goes, I think that is the fastest in-house situational awareness. You have to be in-house, which is, I think, one of the the benefits of having like a Jolt or a checklist Mm -hmm. app is you can be anywhere, and you can see what the status is. Um, But I I do love that approach. Um, But but I think anybody can like create a whiteboard and have their checklist, you know, you know, magnified on a white, like a giant wall. But what's the, the trick to actually getting your people to execute using that? There's a few different, first off showing, there's a lot to be said about that. If you have a staff that doesn't get on board with your ideas, that's a problem in and of itself, but it's going to take at minimum seven times for a habit to become, or for them to hear it once. Okay. So you ask your staff five times, you're two away. You're too away asking them. You're like, I have to tell them this every day. I'm like, yeah, you have to invest in them. They're not used to it. You got to get it seven times. And it'll take 23 days to become a habit. And it's every single day. And then it might be the path of least resistance is I just avoid it and they'll forget, which happens all the time in a restaurant. But if you can make the path of least resistance, hey, we're going to get in trouble if we don't. And then add to that, look at the why. Hey, did everyone notice we got prep done at 1030 this morning yeah. and no one's wondering what's left to be done and we're not like going into the walk-in or coming back out and trying to figure out what else isn't made? And we passed it off to Night Crew and Night Crew knew exactly what little stuff they had to do and they banged it out and there's no ambiguity. And the front of house server who sh- or front of house manager showed up at 5 o'clock, walked into the back and knew exactly that we were 86th on this and we had something else which again a shift note seven shifts jolt hot schedules all these could do it but usually it's speaking manager to manager this allowed even the bartender to go to the back and see what's doing allows the front of house server to go to the back and be like hey i don't see like any prep done and just be aware more communication means more awareness and that's what I saw with the whiteboard, and, and it was a success. I love that you're mentioning communication. I want to pull back layers on that. But what else can we do to make sure that the checklist is getting done? So one, you mentioned explain the why. What else? Yeah. Uh, incentivize the correct behavior rather than just point it out when it's done incorrectly. People want to feel – people want positive attention, which I learned in YMCA day camp, like they're five-year-olds. But that trait doesn't leave the body. 40-year-olds want to get attention. They want to be talked to. It's just, is it going to be negative or positive? They, if you could keep it positive, like, hey, I want to really congratulate this crew for doing it, or I want to congratulate night crew for ending the sheet outright. And for that, here's the win, here's the positive, depending on what type of incentives, you, whether it's cash, whether it's a nightly beer. Sometimes that works in some dynamics. Sometimes you're like, I don't want my staff ever drinking on premise. Whatever it is that you could incentivize with, 
when it's done correctly and also really, really obnoxiously pointing out, hey, everyone, look at how much... how." Because they don't understand this is the new revised path of least resistance. That other path of least resistance that you thought was the path of least resistance is actually a more arduous path. By doing it this way, we're happier. We're not stepping over each other. We're having a better time at work. Do we all notice that? And then, okay. And after a month of nonstop conversation and really dutifully doing it. Now, after that, now, when I initiated this, I was like, take because i had three or four stores at that time i want a photo of it in a text thread showing me it of the thing of the filled out board every morning and every afternoon to the whole group thread and then if i walk into your store and something on that sheet is a lie if you just filled it out to appease the group thread i will fire you on the spot yes I love that, man. Um, did I cut you short? No. Okay. That was it. So the, the big things I'm pulling from that is one, explain the why. People aren't going to just do it because I said so. You have to say, do it this way because this is the best reason and here's why. Um, reinforce positive behavior. So when somebody instinctually goes for the checklist, give them a, a pat on the back and say, way to go. Reinforce that, that positive behavior. And then it's not enough to have the checklist. You have to have systems for checklists. So it's, there's checklists for systems and then there's systems for checklists, meaning you need somebody to go through the check who's ever doing the checklist. And then there needs to be a checklist checker to make sure that it's yeah. getting done. And that's kind of what I'm hearing from you. Did, I, mean, I, did it, I miss anything? No, you, you're 100% right. Before we had that, especially at this location, because they would get surprise orders by 10 a.m., blow off their list and I'd have I'd have a guy who would be a really good employee promoted to be kitchen manager and just walking around doing everyone else's work but not talking and then be like well what, what where are you at it's like I've been working my ass off all morning I'm like yeah I can look on cameras and I see you did and you had a bunch of staff that was just like got done with the task and just stands there until you walk by to tell them what to do next or you didn't and they just kept oh well I guess I'll mop the floor or something so I never doubt people's willingness to want to work. I rarely do. I think I, it's, are you delineating it in the smartest way possible that makes it obvious what the next task is? Yeah. And that's that. where people fail. Yeah. And you, you mentioned earlier in you, your chapter on communication, man, for the restaurant industry, I haven't seen a book that does as good as a job really mapping out how to communicate in the restaurant industry. I, I don't want to give your book away, but what are some of the biggest By lessons? What are some of the biggest lessons on communication that you want to share with us today? Clearly speaking is a big one. Knowing what you want the goal of your conversation to be. The not, end in mind. Not saying what you want to say, but saying what needs to be said for your goal to be accomplished. Yeah. And and giving up on being right. Being right matters nothing. Mm. Nothing at all. Why? Because if you're right, like, hey, they there's this rule that we made a year ago that hasn't been enforced, but I'm right if I call them out on that and really make a stink of it. Yeah, and then the conversation becomes about who's right and not about whatever the problem, fixing the problem, right, together. Exactly. Profit, results, not effort. I can say, hey, great effort, but I need results. I don't care if, well, you know, I did everything right. Obviously, you didn't. Yeah. Or so, so when you say starting with the end, like starting with the end in mind, or, or understanding why you're having the conversation, what I like about that, and you get you kind of allude to this in the book, is that the mentality you need to have when communicating is we're in this together, mm-hmm. and we need to figure out how to get there. And once you agree that this is the this is the point, this is why we're communicating to figure that out. Now your effort goes collectively into getting there together. Versus what you're saying, it's not about who's right or wrong, but it's like what's the best. Exactly. If someone's 
common issue. Someone's late. Yeah. You're, so you're going to address this person. You're going to really just shove their face in the poop that they that they're late. Yeah. You're late. You're late again. You think we don't have rules here? You think you think that this doesn't matter? You think that you, I'm going to be disrespected on a daily basis by you? You're saying everything you want to say yeah. in that horrible example of a person just venting to an employee, which should never be done. Or, hey, uh, you're late. What? What happened? Why are, are you, you late? okay? Then, yeah. if you're okay, to the end of still not productive conversation, just an interrogation. Just hey, you were late. Is that acceptable? Okay, are you going to do this again? What are you going to do different? You what happens when you're late? Well, when I'm late, then yeah, you're right. The What's staff this isn't ready. This, this type of communication. That Socratic method. Yes. The Socratic method is just asking them questions for them to come to the realization, and you're working with them the whole time for them to come to their own realization. And then when they get to their own realization, it's theirs. Mm. They own it. Yes. They weren't just talked down to and took their beating, and maybe they heard the beating, maybe they didn't hear the beating, and you're going back to an adversarial relationship. Yeah, I love that approach of communicating. You know the answer, but the, the goal isn't to get to tell them to... The goal is to help them figure out how to get to the answer on their own, to steer them, but when they come there on their own, like you're saying, they're much more likely because now they're saying it. It's their, They're making the rule in, in a way, which it makes it much more palatable and digestible. Um, people are more likely to do it when they came to that destination, right? Yes. Um, you also, in the book, which I think is really great... Um, because once you, cause you're now at, we mentioned five pizzerias, two gelatas, a fine dining restaurant, a food truck, and two f- food hall locations, which is crazy to think that only five years ago you were at three pizza, pizzerias, right? So you've, you've experienced massive growth in the past five years. Yes. Um, which means you really got to get good about communicating through specific channels, like, uh, like, oh, what's the term? Um, like, a, like a, a, a chain of command almost. Chain of command. Yes. That's, yeah. yeah. So w- take us through that. You get into the, the book, but what are some of your, your – what's your advice for communicating at that point where now you've you got to be in multiple different places at once, but you, you physically can't. So your language, your communication has to be in different places at once. Well, the, there's so many communication portals now, and I'm very thankful for the technology that we have in front of us. And I, I look at each location having a management team, and then a management team needs to explain – to their staff and each one it goes down so on a so my suggestion or the, my path if you're a single store you still need to have a meeting once a week with your management team even you're like I live with these people practically I'm yeah. around them so much I don't care you need to stop be outside of the restaurant and say okay what are our goals for next week what is this what were sales like where are we going you have to you have to take that hat off and put a new evaluative hat on and go through stuff or else you're stagnant and then that staff needs to talk with their shift each lunch and each dinner or breakfast, depending on, or night, depends on how many shifts you have. Otherwise, you're stagnant. If you're looking to grow, I mean, if you care about growth in a restaurant industry and you're listening to this podcast, you probably do. If you're a beer and shot bar and that's all you care about and you're never going to be more than that, it's a single beer and shot bar, maybe you don't want to do that, but you're just going to be that single beer and shot bar forever. Mm. If you're saying, hey, we want to grow this thing, we want to be a company. We want to be a restaurant business, not just a, a club, which is what most or a lot of independent single unit restaurants are. You have to see what you're doing. And again, back to working out. If I just went lifted each day, whatever I feel like doing great. If you actually want to get gains with a Z, you got to write down what, are, what did you lift today? What are you lifting tomorrow? What's your plan? It. So at the single store, you do that. Then we have 
all of the managers with me and my brother. Each week, we have me and my brother meeting. Once before that meeting, then we have a quarterly evals that I suggest everyone in your company be talked to about their goals, what they see going right, what they see going wrong, and then the things that you're noticing. So that's what your manager should be doing with staff. Uh, then the staff should talk in an official portal for <clears throat> an official portal, which is seven shifts or a, a any scheduler. Typically, yeah, YSL is another great platform uh, for bringing a, uh, for an official portal for communication. The beauty of those programs are that you could say Tom was late today, and you can't delete it. You can add. Oh, actually, I was wrong. Tom was scheduled at four, but you can't delete it, which makes it actionable in court. Mm. Which means that if you if they claim unemployment, you're like, well, I have it factually based here. It's not in a Word document or Excel. I really do believe an online scheduler save a lot of money in a restaurant. They verify who's supposed to be there and when, and you can have a digital logbook. You can say, this went great today. This was a problem. You can document behavior. You can talk about sales. You can talk about weather, talk about events. Why is and, it important to document behavior? Well, especially with staff. If, if, you have, if you say to a staff member, hey, we got to let you go, and they're like, well, why? This is the first time I've ever been talked to. That's not cool. If you say, well, I have 10 times that you, and you, it's not like, showed up with a bad attitude. That's an opinion. You mm-hmm. said, showed up 10 minutes late and threw their books on the ground. Didn't have their uniform on. Didn't have your, yeah. here's definable facts that yeah. occurred. There's no opinion about it. This is a, a fact. If you were to watch it on video, with, with it would be an absolute fact. And then you can show that to them and say, these are the reasons why. And you've been talked to three times yeah. about it. You, we're not firing you. You quit via yeah. your own actions. We're just showing you we the way out. We told you. You confirm that you understand what we're telling you. you. You have to. You can't. It's not. My word versus your word doesn't hold up in court. You need no. data. You need to track things. I think that's where it starts to get. When you start to scale, you really got to start. Like you have to track stuff because you can't be everywhere. So everything that's getting done needs to be tracked. So you can look at the data no matter where you are and say, hey, oh, you know, the, these numbers are off. Why? And like that's your cue to go into that area to ask questions. And it's, it's the trust and track method of trusting your people and then tracking their work. And then when things go awry, like you go, oh, okay, what, what's going on here? Um, but you, you, you map that out really well in the book, the chain of command, the communication. And I think these are things that aren't intuitive. These are things that you have to pick no. up a book and learn and go get expertise. And I never, even though I've seen it before, that was the system that we had created for the most part. Management training meetings are not unique to me. They had existed in other restaurant groups, but the way we go about them is different. I, uh, It's really a lot of trial and error and I have so many years under my belt but I don't have years where it's like I started when I was 40 and I'm writing this book in my 60s I I have it really boots on the ground in the last 15 years in the world we're living in today and I tried to make again the stuff I write in the book to be evergreen so that if you read this in 2040 it's not like well why would you need to explain to someone why they were late like that's not going anywhere people yeah. are going to be late you're going to need to do the Socratic but method in, in 2040. 2040 robots are always going to be working so <laughs> you're going to need to explain to the robots <laughs> what they did wrong um you also mentioned in, in the communication section um what happens when you know the the chain of command the communication gets to the end user now the the manager is communing communicating to the staff at the pre-mail or the the, the daily meeting 
uh, but there's nothing to talk about because everybody's doing their job and everything's perfect and we can't find anything to talk about. What's the point of having that conversation if there's nothing to communicate? I, any staff member that says that, which I think even people listening might be like, well, of course, you know, you're going to have days. I don't remotely agree with that, uh, with that basis. Why? Because there's so much you could talk about. If everything was great, like I want to point out how great this has been. I want to, you could just point out how great everything has been to have that be yes. a rah-rah. Yep. You want to start the day off on a positive yes. note. You want to, even if it was to be like, tell me I do this in meetings. I start off our meetings. And this is not something I created. This is from a, an entrepreneurial book. Um, do you know the name of the book? Well, it's, it's, a, it's a process called Traction, which is an oper- entrepreneurial operating system program. I don't write about this in my book because it's not my story to tell, but I'll just say, if you're listening to this, I start every meeting off with best and best, which is best in your personal life, best in your work life. Yes. And then that mentally takes the brain and decompresses it like, oh, well, okay, now I know something about their son. And now I know something that they're stoked about at work. And we started off with everyone saying something positive. So the tone of this meeting is inherently good. Mm-hmm. It doesn't take a lot of time to do, and it sets everything in the right way. It's uh, going back to the Marine Corps. Marine Corps training is so psychological and it's so psychological at times that people don't realize it's being psychological. For example, you will have the the sergeant instructor wearing a, a brimmed hat and it's that big circle, Smokey the Bear brimmed hat. And when they take it off, that means I'm not disciplining you anymore. I'm educating you. And you don't realize that that's occurring when they take off the hat because you just don't, but the, you're like your brain subconsciously says, oh, I'm in a different realm right now. Additionally, they realize that the brain needs to decompress for a certain amount of time each day. And I didn't realize this at the time, but you would clean your weapon and no one messed with us when we cleaned our weapon. And it, it essentially was meditative time. It was, you know, people are like, I need to, I do my TM or I meditate. Well, the Marine Corps has meditation time. It blows my mind how progressive the Marine Corps and the military was and is. But like they always seem to be so far ahead of like I don't know if everything they're doing. Is I don't. Totally it's like they didn't know. They just knew the brain couldn't handle being yeah. being interrogated for a straight uh, eighteen hours yeah. while you're awake. Uh, uh, you could be sleep deprived, but it still needed to decompress at some point. Yeah. So during the weapon cleaning time, that's when that occurred, and that is something that in a restaurant they're going to get into their meditative roles when they're making. It's very meditative to just push out dough. It's very. They get that, but what you don't get is the uh, the moment to set the tone for the day and the shift. Because if someone's coming in with all their the monkeys on their back about their day, and you don't say, "Okay, I just want to point out how great this is," or you have to say, "I want to point out how good this and this is," but we got to be ready for this order today. Then you're just going with the status quo, and status quo will always start to steadily decline. It never yeah. steadily increases. Status quo without communication, without enforcement, never just, hey, and everyone just started cleaning more than they normally do for no apparent reason. <laughs> yeah. So you've been in business now for 15 years. The last five years has been from, I mean, it took you 10 years ago from one location to, to three locations, and then it took you five years to go from three locations to six total pizzerias, a fine dining, two gelatos, the, the, the truck, and everything else. Um, what what's your life been like what what are, i mean i don't always get to talk to somebody who's at this level and who's going through that growth right now so how's your life most drastically changed in the past 5 years i mean i got married in 2014 
and my wife knew the deal at least. But uh, you know, there's certain things I've gone, I've ran quicker on certain things, and I've slowed down on others. And with this uh, massive amount of growth, having a son in 2017, I really had to be real systematic about my day. And if I wanted to get enough accomplished to, to do this job, I had to switch to getting up at 5 a.m. and going to bed at 10. Before, like three years ago, I was like, I'd stay up till three doing work and concepts and writing and whatnot. And I just wasn't set up for success. I really have to be a lot more meticulous now than I ever had been before. Because if I skip a beat, I lose a rhythm. Mm. The I think that's what it is to be at this level. And I don't know, again, not to toot my own horn, but I don't know many people that are independents that get to this level. I, I, I can, the ones that I know, and especially at Pete's, because Pete's is significantly so more gnarly. Yeah, so competitive, too. There's like Every city has hundreds of pizzerias. It's the most competitive, maybe next to like Chinese you know, like, but the, there's like couponing, the coupon games, the marketing has to be incredibly intact. The motivation, the reason, the quality, all that needs, and it just doesn't stop. It's it's really never stops. A burger restaurant, it's like, hey, well, do I have a, do you have a two burger combo deal? Like, no, no one expects that. <laughs> Pizza, they expect all these other things. Yeah. Um, I know, like Tony Gimignani in California. I'm very thankful that I know him. He's a good friend of mine. But he's also been a mentor to me too. Seeing him start with one store in a suburb to go to a big store in the heart of the city and then grow it to all the concepts he's done he's been he's on my radar i'd love to get him on the show i've been in contact but i whenever when i was out there last we weren't able to connect he and you know we we talk daily and uh when you get to he knows what this is and i get his stuff now and uh, i know of only a few guys that are at that and it's just a it's a whole beast of a life it's just a lot the marketing the hr that's all a thing the meetings but then staying white collar but still keeping your blue collarness about you it, it's walking a tightrope walk and and it's important to do it because if either one starts to suck everything falls yeah and i think you you mentioned in your book it's not the the DIY approach but it's we can do this approach that you you started mm-hmm. where you start you just start paying attention to what people are doing and then you learn how to do it so you can do it yourself and save the money on repairs and things like that but when you scale yes is there a point where you need to kind of drop that we can do it mentality and is there ever a point of it's actually more efficient and affordable to outsource this oh for sure i'm not opposed to outsourcing but here's here's a great example let's say you're an independent single unit restaurant you should learn to do food photography. Yeah. You should learn what you like about your food. Yeah. There's tons of information out there in food photography. Too. You can say classes. Totally. Like we uh, think we learn. or what, There's so many. What are Masterclass probably has one. Um, uh, Lynda.com probably. There's so many places for you to get that information. Sorry you're, to cut you short. You're, you're looking at a $700 to $1,500 investment to know everything that you like or don't like about it and then then you could say okay now i could find someone who does it the right way that i'm going to pay to do a monthly photo shoot yeah. but i know what i'm i know this world I'm not the best at it but i know what i'm talking about when i say hey i want more light here i want more on that so i learned all the food photography but i handed it off i learned video editing but then i handed it off i learned menu uh design and all the fundamentals of men- menu design and, and have h- hired the best menu designers and then manipulated it by learning Adobe InDesign. Same thing for uh, all repairs and maintenance in the restaurant. Like 
I could take this whole oven apart and put it back together at this point. I have the best guy when I need to. But if this thing falls apart tonight, I can do it. Yeah. So what's the what, why is it so significant to learn it all, then pass it off? Why is that approach of learning it all and then passing it off the best approach other than just finding someone else to do it? There's uh, many, many reasons why I believe that. There's first and foremost, when you know it, that you know the value of it. Mm. Otherwise, you could be sold a bill of goods. Yep. So you're not going to get taken advantage of when you know the ins and outs of what it takes. You're like, so I was like, well, that's going to take me 10 hours. Like, no, it's actually going to take you two. Yeah. And I'll pay you. Yep. I'll, I think $100 is a fair price for that. If you don't want a job, then fine. Yep. Uh, when you know it. Yes. You can not be taken advantage of. You also have a, a, I can't do something and not form an opinion about it. So if I do it and I form an opinion about it, now I know what I'm looking for. And otherwise, I'm just handed something like, do you like it? I, I guess I do, but I don't know why I yep. do or I don't know why I don't. That helps as well. Mm-hmm. So, so I learn it, I understand the space, and then I can hand it off. Same thing for like payroll. You should learn. Hey, I want to do it this way where we're we're doing it based on the tip or this and this. Learn QuickBooks. Learn it all. Then have someone that can just do the busy work. If that's why you're handing it off, because your time is more valuable, which is the ideal. You learn it so you have an opinion of what you expect them to do, so you can yep. leave it and then not waste your precious time on it. Yeah. So, and I think. I- and maybe you, I don't. I didn't catch it, but if you did say this, the idea of like, if you know how to do it now, you're not dependent on whoever does do it. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't ever want to make yourself dependent on somebody else getting the job done. So if they show up sick or whatever, they get in a car accident, like whatever. Now you can you can do it. You don't need them there. You might. It's not maybe the best way you spend your time, but you're not. You know. In a bind. You, did you? I don't think I got no, the, the self-reliance part yeah. of it. Is, and COVID was a great example of that. I mean, right here, right where you're sitting, we realized, oh, crap, we need March 16th. We need to create a, a take-home kit because people are going to have their kids at home. They don't know what the hell. They've never had this before. Yeah. Never been with their kids during the daytime. Let's do a take-it-home pizza kit i don't have time for a photographer to come out i don't have the so i shot a video on my iphone i knew how to do a tripod i did a portrait photo of the kit then filmed myself for my staff here's how you build the kit here's everything on it then was able to plop open my computer in indesign make beautiful instructions of how to do it and took what normally would be the five six five to six week marketing program with all the pomp and circumstance and compressed it into 90 minutes and had a whole new marketing program on the, on its feet, out to the masses. Started at 2, was out there by 3.30. I love it. Is there anything we have not discussed up to this point that you want to make sure we get out? I mean, there's... We, thought, we talked about a lot. I, I think there's... I, I look at most restaurants, people. I think 90% of independent restaurants are a single unit trying to figure it out. Yeah. Then you have this middle tier, which is... They've, had, they've been in the game for a while. Maybe they have two or three... And they're either wondering what it's going to take your, to get to the next level, or they don't want to get to the next level, or they're afraid of the next level, or they're so egotistical that they think that there's nothing better than what they've done. <laughs> and then there's that next, next level of really systemizing and, and, and getting to this macro self-awareness and, and self-actualization that I think most restaurateurs want to get to, but they don't fully get there. Or then you sell it off or whatever. I wanted this book to, to approach all three of those and do it in a palatable way that wasn't preachy or condescending. I think uh, I haven't really touched on, and not to make it a sales pitch for the book, but the book's entertaining. I don't expect a restaurant person to not be entertained 
for an extended period of time. So I have a lot of my humor in there, which we haven't delved into <laughs> my hilarity, but it's a humorous book. It's a fun approach. And uh, I think the audiobook speaks to that as well. Is the audiobook out? Because I couldn't find the audio. The audiobook has not dropped, as they say. Oh, okay. yet. It I, should be I coming out any day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they Do don't, you narrate it? Yes, I, nice. I did it myself. And, and normally those things are like week long in a studio. I had a, because I'm friends with the radio show out here and banged it out in two mornings and then edited it down and did it, which any restaurateur who's a pizza restaurateur is going to know the phrase I'm about to say next. How much is that in pizza? <laughs> very, very your time. smart <laughs> yeah. feather in your cap if you could say, but how much is that in pizza? And you will, that's how you barter and trade and get by. <laughs> well, I think that's a good point to when do you know it's worth outsourcing or doing it yourself is what's my time worth? What's my expertise worth? Like what is my dollar per hour value to my business? And if, is, is, is that, I don't yeah, I've never heard that expression, but it should be, you're, you should value yourself. It, otherwise you're like, well, I could, you know, you're a glorified employee. Yeah. If you, if your time isn't worth anything, your time should be worth 200, $300 an hour. Because if I could go out to that point on my feet in a COVID world and, create a promo that then turned into us selling 2,500 pizza kits that turned that 90 minutes into, you know, my, my, I was worth to this company, you know, $25,000 in 90 minutes. Yeah. If, I think I'm picking up on you. I know I'm picking up what you're putting down. <laughs> and so, um, I, I do want to talk about COVID a little bit, but something just came into my mind, something I meant to ask you earlier, but I wanted to wait towards the end of the conversation. Um, you, you scaled to six pizzerias, um, sorry, five pizzerias. Right? And a, five pizzerias, a food truck, uh, then two food hall concepts, Prosimo, and two gelaterias. And then we have one at our airport currently. And then we also sell pizzas to grocery stores for retail. Yeah. So what, right when you got to the point where most restaurant groups start to take off with one concept, they, they figure out the formula to, to, to build out a restaurant, usually right around the five to six restaurant mark. When you got to that point, you said, okay, I'm done with that. Now I want to do fine dining. I want to do a, a, a gelateria. I'm not saying that right. You said it right. G- gelateria. Um, so wh- how difficult was it for you to, to hone in, to get something fine-tuned, and then to, to take all of your energy off of that to focus on something you've never done before? Was that pivot hard for you? Uh, originally it was, but now pivoting and doing that is actually second nature. See, a franchise does the... If I went into another city or I went into another state, the the mountain of stuff on my plate would be, okay, what's the jurisdiction here? How does licensing work here? Yeah. What's the new routes and tracks for these for for getting food? What Those, new relationships do I need to develop in other communities? Exactly. Yeah. And and right now I don't have to do any of that here. I mean I can make thirteen more food concepts in Tulsa like that. Like no super easy because I have tons of infrastructure that I've built here. I, I just, I mean, I could make eight calls and have another restaurant practically built between, I got the, the plumber, the electrician, the sign guy, the equipment guy, this, I just boom, 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 boom. It's not simply that simple, but it's a sure as hell a lot easier when we first open the restaurant. They're like, hey, I want to buy my equipment. I found a company that'll sell me equipment. And then they're like, yeah, we can get you that, that prep table. And I'm calling every day like, yeah, it should be here any day now. should be here any day now. You're like, when will it be here? This is a horrible company. But you don't know that because you haven't walked this road before. A lot of the relationships I probably could take with me, many I would not be able to in another area. Along with that, and and that's all figured out. 
there's still a lot of other stuff at play. And you're touching on one of the reasons. I mean, when I first started this podcast, I was very all about supporting independent, smaller operations. And I kind of feel like we need more of that in the world. And when people ask me, well, what's every, every big corporation once started as a small corporation? Like, what's the difference? Blah, blah, blah. And I think what you're alluding, you're alluding to part of what resonates with me is the idea that to scale at that level, you start to have to rely so much on process and system and it gets to the point where you're not depending on relationships anymore. You're depending more on system and process. And I think there is a fine balance before, you know, like, do, do we need to dilute society in order to scale? I don't think we should. And I, I like that idea of what you chose to do, which is I rather focus on going deeper into this community, creating more relation or strengthening my relationships or leaning into the relationships I already have and creating more opportunity for people in this community. Oh, certainly. I mean, I'm, I'm, now I also have the benefits. I'm, it's a little bit like just taking advantage and striking yeah. while the irons. If I open up in Kansas City, people will be like, what's this restaurant? I don't know. It's something from Colorado, some yeah. corporate chain. You're like, no, it's me. I'm not a corporate chain, but no one knows that. It's going to yeah. be really hard to explain that. If I do something here, it's like I have like the Tarantino effect where it's just like, oh, well, I have no idea what this Tarantino movie is about, but it's by Tarantino, so I'll see it. Yeah. Like I have the... The promise is already inherent there. Like, oh, something from the Andalini's guys? Yeah, let's go to that. Let's yeah. see what they're doing. It's beautiful in that sense. And then the Prosimo is a pivot, but now I know, okay, I need a manager who knows this and, yeah. and this. I know how to make the recipe card. The card's the same. The food's different. The quality is a, is the same, but the process is this. The quality is a different style of quality. You got to have someone who's fine dining focused. But a lot of the things still fit in. Instead of a T-shirt, they're wearing a fine shirt. It's still clothes. It's still that stuff's the same. Instead of the bar being this, the bar yeah. is that. And installing a toilet very akin, regardless of which location it yeah. is. And then you're off and off off to the races. So how do you how do you handle scale? As far as are you bringing on partners, or is it just still, still you and your brother? Still just me and my brother. Um, no we, investors, just purely the bank loans. Uh, so when you go. Say for like a new concept, like uh, I mean, I think that's one of the benefits too of, of having all of your concepts so close to each other, um, is that you don't necessarily need to rely on partnerships because you can be across the street if you have to. Yes. Um, do you, would you ever see yourself taking on a partner for a new concept? At this point, no. Uh, I don't find the need to. I don't. I think we want more voices in the room. Yeah, I understand that. And even if we did. You know, we're not opposed. We're not like jerks or something. Yeah. But I don't see the benefit of it. Really, it's and it's not even out of greed. It's just I know it would be like it's a in that sense like the Beatles saying, "Hey, let's bring Yoko in." Like, no, yeah. it's it's probably going to screw up the dynamic. <laughs> I hear you. Um, okay, let's talk a little bit about the future. Um, I don't really want to talk about how you reacted to COVID because I think at this point, if you haven't reacted and you haven't made the changes in your business, you're probably no longer in business. So, what is your your plan? What is your what do you see the future, the next maybe six to 12 months looking like? And how do you plan on doing the best in that, that time? It's hard to be proactive in this environment. And I, I say often, if you want to tell God a joke, tell him your plans. <laughs> With that said, I anticipate, if I was to guess about the future today or put a bet down, I believe that the way we approached gluten-free even to now, but especially, you know, in the last few years where it's like, oh, this is a new trend that affects a portion of our demo is the way we'll have people that are like, oh, we have a COVID friendly section of the restaurant or a socially distanced section of the restaurant, like a smoking section, but it'll be a distant section. I could definitely see that happening in parts of America. 
I do believe the inverse will occur for certain amounts of people where they're like, I want to hug my server. Yeah. And there are people who want to just like... Here's the hugging section. Here's yeah. the no hugging section. I could see both of those happening. And hopefully the divide starts to meld. And maybe people, instead of this being a pendulum swing one way or the other, the people just want normalcy so bad that they just say, hey, let's pretend it didn't happen. I don't anticipate that, but I could see it as being one of the options. And being smart enough to everyone's curbside is going to be significantly better than it ever was or ever could have been without this. Yeah, that's not. And will it go away or, or edge off? You know, third party delivery got really good during this time. Phone systems made a lot of money during this time. Yeah, what do you, did you make any changes to your phone systems? Oh, yeah. We switched from an analog system that was in the uh where you have to buy a hard line for each line. You might have a, a what's called a hunt group. It's like we own four numbers. Okay. And when it, you call the first number, so we have four lines. Now we have a infinite, an infinite amount of lines with our Ring Central phone system. So if they call and it's put on hold, it just goes and goes and goes. And we could handle. Soft phone, basically. Like yeah, a, we can handle 50 phones if we want. Are those to. called what? We use Ring Central. Okay. And they've uh, been a really great. I just knew I needed to be able to put 50 people on hold if I wanted to yeah. and forward it from this store to that store or have it transcribe into messages or send it to the catering director, even if to their cell phone. And we, the technology finally caught up Yeah, and we went there with that. Uh, we also changed out our, our POS system during COVID. What'd you go to? We switched to toast. Okay. We're very happy with toast. I, I speak their praises. I look at toast like the first iPhone of POSs. I mean, there's great POSs. Like the Nextel was great. The Nextel phone, I loved my Nextel phone. But then you have the iPhone, you're like, oh, I could download a mapping app. I could just integrate, which you can integrate seven shifts into Toast. You can Everything integrates into these new POSs. I believe Toast to be the best. And I thought Toast is also a sponsor, I believe. So I don't think I'm speaking out of turn. Am no, I? And I didn't. I also didn't say that to but you. I, I, I would say this about <laughs> Toast regardless. Toast... Right now in the year twenty twenty one is the uh, it's just great program. I could see with seven shifts my scheduling program. Someone clocked in at nine. Another sponsor, left. by the way, not <laughs> another another sponsor. Well, if way. I cl- if they clock in at nine and leave at three, or they were scheduled to leave at three on the schedule, but they left at three oh seven, it'll say I have a seven minute deficit. Yeah. Because it's integrated. That's never occurred in the restaurant no. system and that, before. And that's where Toast is huge. Is it's ability to integrate. The other great benefits are that it's cloud-based. You don't have to worry about updating. Every month when you pay your new subscription fee, Like you're at the most up-to-date version. You don't oh, have to, yeah. yeah. So like uh, PCI compliance or a PC, is it PCI compliance? PCI compliance. Yeah, PCI compliance. Every time it's, all be, it's always being updated. Um, so, I mean, there's tons of reason to go to it, and I didn't cue you on that. No, I mean, I would say, I'm <laughs> saying this in the COVID world. Yeah. I got, I was like, okay, we have to take this downtime. It was a little bit of a, I was like, what can I do? I can't really do much of anything. Yeah. We can serve the pizza as best as possible out the door. We'd have no dining. Yeah. We had to furlough a bunch of staff, which I was completely just sick to my stomach about, and then get them back to work as fast as possible and execute as fast as possible. What can we do? Yeah. What can we do? Yeah. And that's when we banged our heads against the wall and kept throwing it we went back to the pin the tail of the donkey days yeah and said okay i'll try this oh it didn't work do this ready okay, aim didn't fire. Work. do this and <laughs> ready fire aim rather ready fire aim yeah. and that was a feeling i hadn't had in a while and probably um, felt good it what <laughs> felt good about code was like the reliance on our ability to create a system was verified and we were able to execute and and able to operate at a high level very quickly 
not just based on our relationships, but we still have that acumen to build a system. Yeah. And I built so many systems that I was able to, you want to throw anything at me? I can handle it. I can create a system for it. We can adjust to it. There's nothing that we can't adjust to. Yeah. And I will say this before we um, go to the speed round. Uh, All my sponsors, for the record, are my sponsors because people like you recommending them. So uh, if you are interested in Toast or 7Shift, please reach out to me, eric at restaurantstoppable.com. If you use my links, it shows my sponsors that this podcast has weight and they continue to sponsor shows and that helps a lot so thank you in advance if you do reach out to me to introduce you to my sponsors and before we do go to the speed round the mission statement is to inspire empower and transform the industry so how have you transformed in these 15 years aside from being heavier now (laughs) with the right medication (laughs) uh 15 years have gone by i'm smarter uh i it's an awkward question because I'm the same person I was when I was 14 years old. Yeah. I still find farts funny. I still find all the same farts things funny. Farts will always be funny. But the, uh, my self-reliance and self-confidence and ability to not just be like, am I? is this all going to fail? Is this all going to fall apart any minute? It's not. And, and you know, the beauty of... There's a lot of things that are beautiful about this. People have met their wives. People have had children. I've had a, a life from this. I don't know. I mean, how am I different? I'm I'm worn and, and beaten from the journey, but I'm yeah. better from the journey. And I think I've done something that's special to a lot of people. I mean, two nights ago at one of our other locations, someone had met there four years ago and surprised his wife and married them in the didn't propose married on the spot in the restaurant with a with a pastor that was there at the table. I love you that. Know, people are having memories and moments here. And if I go to a mixed party restaurant which i haven't done in going on a year but if i was to go into mixed company and say hi i'm mike like okay yeah hey mike and then what do you do i own andalise it'll stop the conversation and they're oh and now they instantly know everything about me and like it's at least in this town yeah it's a nice feeling it's a nice part of life at this point i love it man this has been a great conversation one more quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back to bust out a true speed round Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And effective labor management is more important than ever to ensure your profitability and restaurant success. Trusted by over 400 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the tools you need to streamline labor operations, communicate with your team, and retain your talent. Best of all, Seven Shifts integrates with the POS and payroll system you already use and trust like toast, turning labor into a competitive advantage for you and your business to get three months absolutely free. Head over to www.sevenshifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven S H I F T S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. Get on it. Who wants to be more efficient and cleaner? Everyone. So streamline your clean faster than ever before with Ecolab Sink and Surface Cleaner Sanitizer. Ecolab's two-in-one Sink and Surface Cleaner Sanitizer is one product that can both clean and sanitize food contact surfaces in front of house, back of house, and the third sink. Like other EPA-registered food contact surface sanitizers, it helps protect against foodborne illness and also kills SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19 
in 15 seconds and norovirus, the flu, and common cold viruses in 30 seconds, helping you reduce risk, simplify your procedures, and help protect your team, your guest, and your reputation with Ecolab Sink and Surface Cleaner Sanitizer. Visit ecolab.com slash unstoppable or talk to your Ecolab representative. We're back, and the first question I have for you is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Me personally? Yes. I think... Oh, shit. <laughs> I'm approachable and able to be wrong. Yeah, and I'll just throw one in there, too. You figure shit out, you know? Yeah. And you, you're willing to figure anything out. And I think if you have that mentality that you can figure it out, there's nothing that can get in your way. You will be unstoppable. Um, what is your biggest weakness? I think we can be softies to a fault, and uh, we we're, we're not trying to be hard asses, but you know we'll we'll just give and give, and probably should cut it off when we sh- yeah I'm, when I we think don't. That's probably a common trait of generous uh, hospitalitarians. We overgive sometimes. I don't yeah. randomize. Uh, what is one question you ask or thing you look for when you're interviewing or growing your team? I want to know that this person, I want to gauge, do they, do they have the instincts to please the customer above anything else? I love it. What is your biggest challenge today? Today, today, maximizing morale in a very demoralizing atmosphere. How do you do that? Valuing the employees that have been through this whole year, this year, yeah. especially, and making them feel special and staying relevant to the product and the what we do in, at a time when you know there's barriers up and a lot of things that feel different yeah what is one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team this is a core value a way to be a way to act i say i need them to be passionate above all else of ethical effective fun and that they get their job, that they understand that they want their job. I love it. What is one thing that's common within the Andalini's restaurant, but not common without throughout you know the rest of the world? We'll take a pizza that went to the table and it looks fine enough and say we're making another one because it's not to our standard. And when the customer's like, no, this is more than enough. This is fine. We love it. Then it's like, that's fine that you think that we're still getting you another pizza. I love it. Um, yeah, man. The, it, I think at the end of the day, it's like like you said before. There's doesn't matter who's right. There's nobody's right. It's just about making it right, right? I love that. Um, what is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or restaurant owner? First, restaurants. I love on the line, on the line by Eric Repair. Yep, um, that one's really great. Wait, on the is that? I didn't. I, I knew about his. Um, was it Thirty Two Yokes? I didn't know he had another book. I I read it like. I want to say eight years ago. So it's I'll been out for a long time. Out. Thank you. Uh, what is one thing you feel restaurateurs don't do well enough or often enough? They don't seek to be individual. They seek to fit in. I said that earlier, but I think it bears repeating. Yep. And I think a lot of restaurateurs don't want to have a boss. So then they conduct themselves like they don't have a boss rather than trying to be the boss that they always wanted to have. Mm. That's good. Uh, name one service you have hired or outsourced to so this isn't necessarily like a a technology but it's a person who does something really well that you've outsourced to 
Oh, man, there's a lot. Uh, the idea behind this question is how good people connect with good people. I mean, website design, and there's almost all my tech is is that, and I have a list of really good people. Do you know the name of the, re- the, the website? I use Forefathers, Forefathers Group. Uh, they, they're Tulsa-based, but they do stuff all across America. A lot of, again, I train people, to, or I find people that do it the way I want it done, and then that was my, the people who do my email blast, I built them out, and then I said, here, handed it off. So a lot of it's my stuff. And I found something systems around yourself. Yes. Uh, I just want, I'm trying to think there are definitely, you know, sign guys in Tulsa. There's a lot of Tulsa based ones, national ones. Um, I'm a big fan of the company, big tray. When it came to equipment purchasing, they're very good at doing it and, and organizing it up. Uh, we'll give another shout out to Roma too. You had great things to say about them earlier. Roma, Roma, Ro- Roma of Springfield and, and their subsidiary of PFG. They've just been a constant partner over the last, you know, 16 years. Our anniversary will be Friday. We'll be 16 years old. And, you know, we could drive now. Uh, <laughs> our, there's so many products and things, you, especially you Pizza Expo. I think that's a big thing. For especially The pizza community is so tight-knit, and Pizza Expo gives pizza operators the opportunity to really grow. And Pizza Day magazine and everything at Pizza Expo is so close and careful and caring that that whole entity and the people that take part in pizza expo each year are so open and and looking to evolve the industry that it's why pizza i think as an industry inside an industry being is so far ahead of chinese food and burgers and everything there's something to be said about people who come together and to share knowledge and it's amazing how far and fast an industry can grow when that happens it's so powerful um and what is one technology we talked about this a little bit that has had a huge impact on your operation whether it's bottom line communication efficiency anything like that i mean nothing compares to the iphone the iphone is the 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 um swiss army knife of business and each year it's a new thing whether it's vr technology of placing your equipment and seeing where it would look in your restaurant rather than drawing it in chalk whether it's using google drive and sharing recipes and 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 uh protocols that way and then if they leave the company you can easily remove it to schedulers online schedulers uh the wealth of stuff and then i'm big on i have all my stuff on iphones i have all my stuff on iphone so that that way we could use iMessage, which, you know, WhatsApp is out there. There's other yeah. app tools. But the amount of communication that's available now ensures that you can clearly delineate what needs to occur and make it happen. I love it. And uh, this is the last question. It's a doozy. I got a lot of head shakes and eye rolls with this one. Okay. Get ready for it. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure with the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy, what would those three pieces of wisdom be? So the book's off the table. Because I just say, read the book. and then You I can would, say that. <laughs> I said, read the book. <laughs> I, I, it's like wishing for more wishes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So in the book, if you're not impressive by default, you're imp- unimpressive. If you're not impressive by default, you're unimpressive. And again, the name of that book, Unsliced, um, How to Stay Whole in the Pizzeria Industry. I also would say... Never look down on the next generation. Find a way to be vital and applicable. Because when the second you just sit down in the center of the room and call it a day, you've ended. You've, you've died. 
keep looking for new ways. And I say, be Regis Philbin, yeah. guy who into his late 80s is still talking about Justin Bieber. He's going to be on the show today. And he never looked down. He was always riding the next wave and making it his own, in his own way, and living a very vital life into his 80s. And there's no reason a restaurant can't be like that. I see 30-year-olds are like, oh, no, I don't do that. Or that's for the kids. I'm all, you're not, you're as young as you want to be. Your restaurant's as young as you want it to be. So just keep going. I love it, man. This has been a great conversation. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to join us to share your story and to let me make an example of you. We wrap up every chat by calling somebody out. So who's somebody that you respect and admire and believe would make a great guest mentor like you made for us today? In Tulsa, especially, you have Philip Phillips of Lone Wolf upon me and, and Chicken of the Wolf. Great friend, great restaurateur, excellent chef. And then the guy who invented the Tulsa restaurant scene, if anyone would say otherwise, they would be kidding themselves, is Elliot Nelson of McNelly's Group. Yes, I have uh, Elliot uh, Nelson lined up on the 13th of next week. I'm happy you said that. And I'm, I'm going to be reaching out to Phil. Thank you so much for recommending. He was not on my radar. Um, and how can we connect with you? Easiest if- way, go to unslicedbook.com. And you could directly email me there. You can follow me on Instagram or, or LinkedIn or whatever. I'm up to go to unslicebook.com, whether it's me speaking or anything you want to connect with me directly on, it's there. All right. And Instagram handle? It's at MikeyBausch.com. And because it's not the easiest to spell, it's there on unslicebook.com, M I K E Y B A U S C H. Beautiful. And this is episode 772. Head over to restaurantstoppable.com slash 772. If you can't remember all that information, we'll link to everything for you, make it nice and easy. And I just cannot say thank you enough, Mike, for taking the time uh, for me to make an example of you, to share your knowledge, and to share your book. It was a great read. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. <laughs> right on. <laughs> Mike Bosch, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. Great conversation. And uh, thanks for being a good sport. There was a couple times I said Andalini's Pizzeria, and that's because I grew up with an uh, Andalini's Pizzeria uh, in the neighborhood, and they were famous for making these amazing Italian subs, these monster Italian subs. My dad used to bring us there a lot as kids, so it was subconscious. I apologize for but thank you for being a good sport. I think that's just another testament of your leadership and your communication skills. And uh, I think that's really what I love from your book today or over the past week reading unsliced how to stay whole in the pizzeria industry. The chapter on communication was gold, Uh, really great stuff on leadership and how to communicate and, and just exist with your team. Also the chapter on systems, gold and there's another chapter at the very end on how to win people who aren't on your payroll again gold this industry is all about relationships mike gets that and he has some great tips and this book isn't just for people in the pizzeria industry it's for all people in the restaurant industry and even beyond that all industries can pull a nugget of value from this book go out there and get it again unsliced how to stay whole in the pizzeria industry and uh if you guys are listening to this please support the show make sure you're using our sponsors when you support our sponsors you support me uh use the links to the tools and services that are being recommended and the best thing you can do is actually reach out to me and i'll make a personal introduction for you join the network be a part of the transformation connect with us on a whole new deeper more intimate level and mike uh his a week and a day after his episode goes live, uh, he will be joining us in the, the 
in the network to reflect on his episode. So make sure you come with your questions. Head over to restaurantstoppable.com slash 772. I'll have a link in the show notes for you guys to uh, join the network with a 30-day trial so you can be a part of the conversation for free. And the first five people to RSVP to that Shop Talk session in the events tab will get Mike's book on me. I'll send you a copy of his book to thank you for joining us. And uh, the last way you can support this show, guys, is share this podcast with everybody and anybody you know who's aspiring to be great in the industry. That's the that's the ultimate compliment. And tag me at Eric Cacciatore. That's Eric, E-R-I-C-C-A-C-C-I-A-T-O-R-E, Eric Cacciatore, so I can thank you personally for supporting the show. That's it. Until next time, peace out.